So let's get October and Q4 started. Live from New York City this morning. Good morning, good morning. Equities rallying. The countdown to the open starts right now. Everything you need to get set for the start of U.S. trading. This is Bloomberg The Open with Jonathan Farrow. Live from New York, we begin with the big issue, kicking off Q4. Look, we've done a lot of damage, obviously, in the third quarter. There is still a lot of nervousness. The dollar's a challenge, in addition to this surge in real rates. It's location between uh, some of the central banks. There could be further downside risk. Volatility is about 10, 15% higher than it was a few months ago. This is a hard market. Getting those earnings expectations down is something that we really need to see. Investors will get to hear from CEOs. Investors want to hear management speak. What kind of impact is this environment has on their business? See some companies rip off the earnings band-aid. And really kind of throw in more of a towel. We're bracing for uh, some pre-announcements and, and earnings uh, cuts. The mood right now is, is one of, uh, you know, extreme caution. Number one is earnings. Number two is PMIs. We haven't seen that contraction yet. Uh, and number three is jobs. Joining us now to discuss is TD's Priya Misra Academy's Peter Chair. Priya, fantastic to catch up with you. First question goes to you. Jim Bianco of Bianco Research said last week was about high volatility, poor liquidity and financial stress. How much stress is there out there right now? I think there is stress. I mean, you, you look at any measure of stress, be it volatility, realized implied, you look at risk assets. I think, you know, what we're dealing with is a global economy that's heading into a recession. And the central bank community is saying, we're focused on inflation. That's public enemy number one. And so their ability to respond is just much lower. So I would say there is stress as people are figuring out how to deal with volatility. You know, what's a good hedge? I would say cash is the only asset that has sort of made sense, not that you're earning any positive real rates there. That's what's creating the stress. But, you know, I don't think it's a tough way to start on Monday, but I don't think that stress goes away because the U.S. data is still strong. I mean, I think globally uh, data has started to turn, but as the U.S. data starts to slow down, I think that stress remains because we just wait for central banks to respond and we don't get that response. So, you know, I think we just have to get used to high volatility, high levels of financial stress and keep liquidity levels high. Pete, to what extent are markets cracking here over the last few weeks? It's become a little bit nervous what's going on in uh, large bond markets. You saw the gilt market kind of become an 
utter disaster. It's trading all over the place. And I think there's some fear, increasingly maybe realistic, that that breaks into other markets. We saw really weak auctions last week. Treasury market liquidity has been nothing short of awful. So I think that's something we've got to watch very, very closely. If this continues to leak, we can have real problems because the other markets just cannot withstand this level of treasury market volatility. And Pete, it was the gilt market that really got everyone's attention. For me, it was how the market responded. That was far more interesting than what we got announced the week before. It was how the market responded to it. And the response that I got, Pete, was that the UK market was unique. And it is. The pension fund, the pension industry dominates that market, shapes it to a large extent. Do you think what we saw in the UK can spill over? We can see more of that in Europe, in the United States, in treasuries, in bonds and elsewhere. I do think so. I think we've got to be very cautious. We've got quantitative tightening going on. And to me, I've always believed that quantitative tightening and easing is nothing like rate hikes. It goes directly to asset prices. We have money coming out of the system right now. And just look at our own market. We've had this 20-year treasury trading at some awkward yield that sticks out like a sore thumb, right? The biggest economy in the world, the biggest bond market in the world should not have such weird kinks in the curve. We've had that. We've put up with that. So, yeah, I think we are a little bit more fraught for danger unless we get this under control. Priya, when does the long bond start behaving like a long bond that's going into a recession? So I think there's some of that getting priced in. It's really hard because the U.S. data is strong for the market to price in that many cuts. And you've got a Fed that's saying, look at the 1970s, we're not going to respond quickly, which is why I think that long bond is struggling to rally more. You start to see weak data and, and perhaps it's weak earnings guidance. I think that's when the long bond moves. I mean, I, I would draw a distinction between the U.S. Uh, market or, or the U.S. Treasury market and the gilt market, which is dominated by LDI. I think in the U.S., this long bond is going to become the risk asset hedge once data or earnings guidance starts to go down. So right now we're barely pricing in rate cuts, 100 basis points of cuts. In our view, this is going to be a recession next year, a longer recession than what most people think, a deeper recession than most people think. So I think at that point, the long bond will start to price in cuts, you know, at least to neutral, if not below. I would argue the Fed will need to get into accommodative territory in 2024, 25. But the long bond is a 30-year view. I think those rates will decline, but we really need to see the data crack. And so far, the U.S. economy is still on fire. Peter Shear, another way of asking this is, can we break the positive correlation between equities, risk assets, and the Treasury market? So I think briefly we can. Ultimately, I don't think we see the lows in equity until we see a really big risk-off move. Once people really start pricing in the recession, I'm with Priya on that. I think we are going to get a recession. I think it's going to be deeper and it's going to come sooner even than she's talking about. And I do argue one thing. I think the economic data is turning over faster than we realize. Some of the old data, so August data, doesn't look as bad. You start looking at stuff that's more contemporaneous, it's looking weak. Housing's looking weak. Autos, used auto sales, those are looking weak. Everyone I talk to in the retail industry is very unclear what these holiday season's going to look like more importantly, what orders are going to look like for February? So I think we've got an overhang build. And I think we're pointing to a lot of weak data that's already there, but you kind of have to look at the right thing. So I think recession sooner, deeper, and we end this whole equity downside with a big risk off move. But in the meantime, I think we could get one relief rally.
We'll keep building on that. Futures right now positive by about 1% on the S&P to kick off Q4. Payroll's coming up later this week. Mike McKee's going to be on top of that for you. Morning, Mike. Good morning, John. I think the one thing I have learned is never leave a British guy in charge of global sovereigns while I go on vacation because <laughs> the questions become over the last five days, are things starting to break? Or as even Peter Cheer says, are they just starting to break, slow down? as the uh, Fed expects it to. Uh, this week, we'll find out a lot more about where we're going with that. The Fed raising rates, the economy is supposed to slow, but how fast and how far? The latest on manufacturing later today at 10 a.m. with ISM. It's been strong, but the real question is, what about prices? Are they starting to slow? Tomorrow, more on factories, but the number of the day is job openings and labor turnover jolts because the Fed's made a big deal out of the number of job openings, they say that's a sign the labor market is still too tight. So is that still true? More on Jobs Wednesday with ADP, totally revamped, of course, the new model, no track record, so we're not sure what it's going to tell us, but people trade on it. And then uh, on thir uh, Thursday, uh, we get the jobless claims numbers. Friday, the big number of the week, September jobs. Hiring is forecast to slow, but here's the question, how much? And how much is it going to take for the Fed to change its mind on how much it needs to raise interest rates in November? A lot of people think this report really won't change their mind, but if it does slow significantly or we see a jump in unemployment, maybe the Fed has license to not do 75. We'll have a pretty good idea of what they're thinking by the end of the week, John, because nine of the 19 policymakers are speaking this week, including New York Fed President John Williams, who usually gives a pretty good signal as to where Jay Powell is going with things. We'll also hear from new governors, Philip Jefferson and Lisa Cook. So a lot for people to digest this week. Mike McKee, Mankiw and Krugman almost agreeing that the Fed risk taking this too far. What did you make of that? Yeah, I think what we're seeing now is uh, the, the idea that the Fed and other central banks don't know how far they can go. And we're starting to get signs from the markets that they may be going a little bit too far. We'll see if things calm down in markets and if they keep getting slower in the uh, economy, then uh, maybe the Fed will have to change its views. Mike McKee, thank you, sir. Priya, the line that stuck out for all of us when it came to the Fed speak, and you can pick up on the nuance, the differences between everyone, but Vice Chair Brainerd, when she says we are committed to not pulling back prematurely, is that one of the most important lines that comes out of the Fed speak? at the moment, they're committed almost to being late. I think so. I think they're telling us that they are going to be focused on inflation. And, you know, until inflation gets down to 2%, they're not going to ease up. The other thing it tells us is things can slow down, but it's, it's what the pain that they've talked about, that there will be pain in this adjustment process. This is part, this is collateral damage. So I took that to be very bearish for risk assets and actually telling me that the curve can keep inverting. Even the first sign of slowing in growth, the Fed is not going to respond. And so I think the, the problem is the ghost of the 1970s is, I think, going to constrain the Fed. I already think that they should be looking at lags in the data. Forget looking at lags in inflation, which will take a while to come down. They're almost telling us that they will not be responding 
to uh, weakness in in economic growth. And therefore, you know, they're going to be late. So I think they're going to have to cut a lot more because if you start late, you have to go a lot more, which is why I think the market's underpricing the extent of cuts in 2024. But they might even start to cut in 24 as opposed to we're looking for them to start to ease in end of 23. But if they're so worried about the 1970s mistake being repeated, I think they're just going to let the pain build until they're absolutely sure that inflation expectations have been anchored. But you look at the market, I would say and inflation expectations are well anchored. The Fed can take some comfort in that. But I think it's the, the 70s. It's all the research on the 70s that's going to make them late this time around in, in responding to slowdown. And following the labour market, being emboldened by it, Pete, can you talk to me about the risk of being emboldened by a lagging indicator with claims south of 200K, just keeping the light green, 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 bright green for them to keep on hiking? You know, one, we'll get a lot more clarity this week because there's been a big divergence between the household and the establishment survey on non-farm payroll. So we'll see some of that, whether that clues up at all. Again, I, I think on the Fed, they've been talking a very tough game since Jackson Hole. They're clearly on point. They did everything together. But I think it's relatively easy to say you're not going to shoot till we see the whites of their eyes then actually do this. So I think if the data starts turning over any weakness, they're going to have a lot of second thoughts because as much as they don't want inflation, job losses and recession, especially coming into election, are awful. So I think they are talking very tough. They're sticking to a script. But how strong they'll be if that data rolls over, I don't know about that. Pete, one line that sticks out to me, it's been used by a few people over the last week, you can't fire what you can't hire. Pete, it's been a massive struggle to attract talent. And I just wonder how badly earnings are going to look, how bad earnings will look before we even start to see any deterioration in the labour market, given that so many of these companies couldn't hire what they were looking for. Yeah, so what I'm looking for is a deterioration in these service providers. So I think companies are going to be very reluctant to hire their, to fire their own people, because like you say, it was so hard to get people. They're going to keep what they have. But I think you'll start looking at cutting, whether they kind of cut on their accounting costs, web services, stuff like that. So I think you're going to have to look there to see the first signs that mainstream economy is really hurting. Peter Chir sticking with us alongside Priya Misra. Whole host of people cutting price targets this morning. City, Credit Suisse, Jonathan Golub said this over at Credit Suisse on the S&P 500. We're lowering our 22 price target to 38.50 from 4,300, initiating our 23 target of 40.50. This implies 7.4% upside through the end of 22, 5.2% through next year. So they're cutting the price targets. Do I have to say Golub over at Credit Suisse is still standing pretty bullish. We'll pick up on that story a little bit later. Equity futures right now positive 1% on the S&P, about 20 or so minutes away from the opening bell. Up next, Credit Suisse stoking financial stability concerns. Clearly, I mean, the stuff that we're seeing now with, you know, these banks, CDS, Credit Suisse, etc., people are just worried about potential financial stability risks. That conversation up next.
as central banks embark on inflation fighting at all costs with raising rates and, and, and potentially withdrawing uh, liquidity, something can break. Where we are at this juncture is different from the Lehman moment, is different from the global financial crisis in that we don't have balance sheet recession. We have a, a recession likely engineered by central bank tightening in order to fight inflation. Our expectation for default is more contained uh, versus what's actually in the price. Shares of Credit Suisse hitting an all-time low. The cost of insuring the bank's debt against default reaching a record high. The CEO writing in a memo Friday, this is a critical moment for the whole organisation. No doubt there will be more noise in the markets and the press. I trust that you are not confusing our day-to-day -day stock price performance with the strong capital base and liquidity position of the bank. Shanali Basak is going to be on top of this story for us, our Wall Street correspondent. Shanali, good morning. Good morning, John. Thank you very much. You know, you have the CEO of Credit Suisse's senior executive speaking to employees, to investors, to clients throughout the weekend as you see their credit default swap spread out. However, remember, we have to do this with a, a big tone of a reality here. These are still very far from distressed levels, uh, and they are not what we've seen with banks in the last decade or so. We have both Boaz Weinstein of Saba Capital really tweeting online saying that this feels like a lot of scaremongering. This uh, is not as wide as we've seen even Morgan Stanley in 2011 and 2012. Another interesting comparison to make is more recent with Deutsche Bank in 2016. Remember, Credit Suisse's capital ratios now are higher than even where Deutsche Bank was at that time. Yet, again, as we've been talking about, the credit, uh, credit default swaps have just widened out so much. At that time, remember, Deutsche Bank was facing a multi-billion dollar fine. Now, Credit Suisse, as we know, does not have one uh, massive event like that coming up. However, we know that regulators would look at this and be worried. They'd be worried for a couple of reasons here. Those reasons include that Credit Suisse is facing here a very vicious cycle of rising funding costs as well as a declining stock price. So the cost of funding is going up for the bank while revenues are also under pressure and there is concern among investors. But the longer term here is what you have to keep an eye on. How does Credit Suisse make it through this market? These challenges in the near term with its stock price just makes that turnaround even harder. And like the CEO has told his employees just this weekend, as the stock is falling like a thud, what he told them was he's looking to rise like a phoenix from the ashes. Well, so they are focused on that turnaround plan for the end of October. Can they hold their stock up until then? Good luck to them, Shanali, because we all know some fantastic people who work at that bank. 2008. We always have to have the 2008 conversation. Let's just park the 2008 story and just focus on this bank. They're going to come out with a strategic review at the end of this month the new strategy, whatever it is. Shanali, most people assume that they're going to have to raise capital. Tell us how much they might have to raise capital by based on the reporting that you've seen and how difficult that will be with the stock with trade, trading with a three-handle. Uh, probably one of the more prominent notes around this is our KBW's estimate around $4 billion, 4 billion euros or so. Uh, listen, the, the problem here is, is that raising money, if they have to issue shares at this point, to your point, with the stock declining that much, it would be highly diluted for long-term holders. And they could also sell some assets, but it wouldn't get you to that $4 billion mark. So there is a lot of money that could be needed for this turnaround plan, which again, this turnaround plan before we were talking about the issues on its stock and 
otherwise, which have now been down more than 60% this year, we were still looking at a multi-year turnaround. So how do these issues that are, we're facing today for Credit Suisse compound that issue even further as they look through a turnaround through a tough economic cycle as well? 2008, John, you know this, the, the regulators really have to be watching this with a lot of bated breath, even with those capital ratios being in the targeted range here. Big time. Shnali, thank you. Shnali Vasek on top of this story for us. She'll do that for us all week, no doubt. I want to come to you on this, Peter Chair. Pete, can you tell me how useful the CDS market actually is to gauge risk like this, like this conversation we're having right now? What do you make of it? So I agree with what Boaz said. I think this was a little bit overdone. One, the CDS market tends to overshoot, right? It's fairly illiquid. Then there's a couple other factors that are really impacting the CDS market right now. One, overall, bond prices are below par. So there are these technical factors when bond prices get below par, and they're well below par across the globe, not because of credit risk, but because of overall yields. So that impacts the pricing of CDS spreads. You've had a liquid bond market, so if people need something done, they'll go to the CDS market, which does tend to be a little bit more liquid in times of stress. So I think it's a little bit overshot, and you can only take so much out about this. And then when people start converting CDS spreads to default probabilities, there's a lot of noise in that. One, not every reason you're getting paid a basis point of spread is because of credit risk. There's all sorts of liquidity risk, all sorts of other reasons to get paid that. You have to look at recoveries. And finally, especially when it comes to banks, the regulators learned one thing through 2007 and 2008. Do not let this get to a fear point in senior credit. And it's not at that point. I don't see any way they will get to doing that. Separate from what they're trying to do on inflation fighting, they all know you cannot let this creep into the banking system. So I would not be too worried about what's going on in CS on the bond side at this point. Pete, just to pick up on that then, are you saying on the bond side that's the better way of measuring the amount of stress that might be out there in a single name? I think you have to take a look at all of them. But yes, it's, you want to look at that. You want to look at where the sub debt is. So there is some stress. I think it's overdone. I think it winds up coming back tighter in the coming days and weeks. Prime Minister, can you tell me just how you're gauging how things are developing in Europe? Sure. Well, I mean, the, um, in, in Europe, uh, you mean UK or, or Europe? Because I mean, Europe I think specifically, financial instability. You're starting to right. see Italian spreads blow back out over the last couple of weeks. There's a worry the ECB might have to step in there. I think that's the theme, the theme of the last week. We spent the last year talking about central banks attacking inflation. Now the concern much more so on financial instability, whether it's the gilt market or Credit Suisse. Absolutely. And I think it's at, it may seem at odds. If the ECB is going to keep moving the rates higher, it's going to be hard for them to prevent that widening in Italian spreads. I mean, they've got that policy in. They might engage. But in our view, you know, it's, it's a little I mean, they're fighting one problem on one hand and then they create financial uh, stability issues on the other hand. I mean, it's a tough balance, but I, I think at some point they're going to have to let these spreads widen. Um, and at some point it brings capital in. I think we have to all get used to cost of capital across the board is rising. It'll be higher for Italy than it would be for, for Burns. There's only so much the ECB can push back against that. And I think that's going to hasten the slowdown in Europe, where financial conditions tighten a lot. The ECB is unable to, I think, get those Italian spreads much tighter. I think they can just slow down. It's what the BOJ is doing. There is a common theme here that they're all trying to tighten financial conditions, but at a slower pace. But they're fighting. You know, I think all they can do is try and 
uh, slow down the process as opposed to really fight it. So we're actually negative on Italian spreads, on Spanish spreads, because we think the ECB is going to have to continue to hike given their very high inflation prints here. Priya, just finally, I've asked this question 20 different ways over the last week. If these central banks have to choose between recession and financial instability or higher inflation for longer, what do you think they choose? I think they're going to have, I mean, I think financial stability is something they will push back against. I mean, at least slow down the volatility, prevent this from, because you, and it becomes a VAR shock, you get all sorts of correlation breakdown, etc. So I think that they're going to try and push back against too much financial instability. Uh, you know, I think they're going to risk a recession. I mean, six months ago, I would have told you that they'll take a higher inflation uh, route. But increasingly, I'm getting the sense that they're so terrified of an inflation problem that they will risk a recession just to get inflation, maybe not down to 2%, the 3%, maybe that's the new 2%. But I think the levels are just too high for them to tolerate high levels of inflation just to keep growth going. I've heard that from a few places now, that eventually they're just going to have to accept three. Priya Misra, Peter Cheer, to the two of you, thank you for kicking off Q4 with us. Futures right now positive 1%. Coming up the morning calls and later, Pictades, Luca Paolini, expecting the S&P 500 to head towards 3K. Luca joining us around the open and bow. From New York, this is Bloomberg. Five minutes away from the open and bell equity futures with a decent pop here. Will it stick? Up 1% on the S&P, up 6 or 7 tenths of 1% on the Nasdaq. That's the price action. Here are your morning calls. First up, Morgan Stanley upgrading bulks to overweight $34 price target, highlighting the company's solid macro positioning and more favorable backdrop. Your second call from Goldman, upgrading Wells Fargo to buy while downgrading Citi to neutral, expecting the two banks to perform much differently in a recessionary environment. And finally, Argus downgrading Nike to a hold, warning that high inventory levels could pose a threat to upcoming earnings. That stock is down just a little bit by a tenth of 1%. Up next, investors gearing up for a critical earnings season. Luca Paolini warning recession is inevitable, expecting the S&P 500 to head towards 3K. That's next, the opening bell just around the corner. from New York City this morning. Good morning to you all. Counting you down to the open and bell about 20 seconds away. September absolutely brutal. Down and down hard on the month, on the quarter for a third consecutive quarter on the S&P 500. The longest stretch of losses, quarterly losses, going all the way back to 2009. Let's see open and bell, switch to the board and get to the bond market. Yield shaping up as follows on a 10-year. Down 15. Down 15 basis points on a 10-year yield to 367. 84. Euro showing a little bit of weakness. Euro dollar negative a third of 1% at 97.74. And crude exploding higher on speculation that OPEC Plus might be about to deliver cuts. We're up 6% on WTI, $84 and around about 20 cents. That's the cross asset price action. Let's get you some movers. Here's Katie. 
John, we have Tesla dropping from the bell, and Ed Ludlow is going to have more in just a minute. But just know that while actual deliveries were at a record, we're talking about 345,000 cars. That number still fell short of estimates. You have Tesla lower by about 4%, down more than 12% over the past two weeks. Moving on, we have Peloton, oh, just a little bit higher after signing a deal with Hilton to put bikes in over 5,000 U.S. hotels. This is the first chain to offer Peloton bikes across all of its branded U.S. hotels. It's needed good news for Peloton, but just a drop in the bucket, the shares are still down about 90% over the last year. And moving on, like you said, it's shaping up to be a big day for oil. That's after weekend news that OPEC Plus, considering an output cut of more than 1 million barrels per day, that's boosting lights of Exxon and Halliburton. This morning, you have crewed about 6% higher at the moment. Katie, thank you. What a pop for energy. And for the energy names on the S&P 500, about a minute and 20 seconds into this, the S&P up by 1%. Energy names up by more than 2% this morning. Stocks rebounding just a bit after recording their biggest monthly decline in more than two years. Investors gearing up for a critical earnings season. We are starting to see some companies rip off the earnings band-aid. We're bracing for... Uh some pre-announcements and, and earnings uh, cuts. Headwinds are beginning to intensify. Getting those earnings expectations down is something that we really need to see. The growth outlook remains dire. There could be further downside risk. Starting to show some cracks in the foundation. The equity market probably has further to go down. There is still a lot of nervousness. The mood right now is, is one of, uh, you know, extreme caution. There's still room, people believe for more downside. For more, let's catch up with Danny Berger. Hey, Danny. Hey, John. It's really going to be the question that we ask all this earnings season. Is the worst of it priced in? If you look at just a headline basis for earnings per share, per share it's hard to argue that it is priced in. Again, that estimate going forward through next year, every quarter shows a gain in earnings. Now, if you expect a recession next year, this is certainly not an earnings recession. Matt Miller over uh, Matt Maley over at Miller Tabak points out that every recession since World War II has seen a decline in earnings. That is not what's priced in. Now, to be sure, at a bottom-up level, we are seeing those revisions drop. We have net downside revisions more so than upgrades for the seventh 17th consecutive week. It's not surprising considering we've heard everyone from Micron to Nike to CarMax, all of them warning on their earnings. But even this picture, John, we still got to ask, is this the worst of it considering that margins are under pressure with high prices and a Fed that is intent on continuing to tighten conditions? Money easy, easy money for these companies is certainly over. The corporate guidance, the numbers, the earnings, the sales, the deliveries, not great at the moment. Danny Berger, mm. thank you. Tesla front and center on that front. We're down by almost 6% on Tesla in early trading. Shares of Tesla under pressure after Q3 deliveries fell short of estimates. The company running the following. As our production volumes continue to grow, it's becoming increasingly challenging to secure vehicle transportation capacity and at a reasonable cost during these peak logistics weeks. On top of this, we're lucky to have Ed Ludlow with us. Morning, Ed. Yeah, good morning, John. Frankly, this was another record-breaking quarter for Tesla in terms of deliveries. Four factories on three continents firing on all cylinders. But ultimately, that delivery number of 343,830 vehicles was considerably below consensus. Now we see the stock down 6.4%, biggest drag on the NASDAQ 100. 
Basically, a transition to a more even regional mix of production across those factories meant that more vehicles were in transit at the end of the quarter. Elon Musk took to Twitter, you won't be surprised to hear, to explain that they were fighting increased expediting costs at the end of that quarter. And going forward, they hope there will be a smoother and more even distribution intra-quarter in terms of those delivers. Some on the street and indeed the big Tesla fans took to Twitter over the weekend to, to kind of front run this stock drop right and say the naysayers are going to say that this is about demand. Well, the sell side seems to believe Tesla's explanation that this is an issue of logistics. One other data point I point to is the percentage of vehicles produced that were delivered around 94%. That is very low relative to the prior 15 quarters, which does give some further evidence that this is not a demand issue. Simply, the cars were ordered, they just weren't delivered to customers. So we looked to that December quarter data to find out what the true effects of global rising rates is and inflation on the consumer, John. And are you surprised we're still grappling with these issues right now, going into 2023? No, not, not particularly, partly because this commentary has been consistent, right? I'm thinking about what I'm hearing across some of those pre-announcements in earnings. I spoke to Amazon's SVP of devices, Dave Limp, last week, and he said, actually, the components picture is improving various semiconductors, parts for electronics. The issue that is lingering is moving things from A to B. He talks about ocean freight, for example, having basically unpalatably high costs. Well, this is what Tesla is saying as well, that there's always a sprint finish at the end of the quarter for Tesla. What they seem to be doing is saying we're not prepared to pay what our carriers are asking us to pay. We need to fix this longer term. And you wonder how much that is an inflationary factor, right? I remember talking to you from the port of L.A., you know, a year ago thinking, yep. what's the read through here from these uh, freight costs through to inflation? Well, as we zero in, the freight costs are still high, John, is what I'm trying to say. I can't believe that's already been a year. And thank you, Ed Ludlow, on a story for us all day on TV and on radio. Tesla down about 6%, the biggest one-day drop going back a week. A stock has been all over the place. We're down for three straight sessions on Tesla. Pictay's Luca Paolini expecting the S&P 500 to head towards 3,000, says the following. Global recession is inevitable. Inflation is always and everywhere a problem. U.S. investors should diversify away from U.S. stocks, start reallocating strategically into government bonds, especially in the U.S., as nominal GDP growth has peaked. Luca... Awesome to catch up. Some big calls here. Let's start with the bond one. You're calling a peak in government bond yields. Why? Yes. Uh, morning, Jonathan. I think the main reason, look, is that inflation has peaked in the U.S. Growth is weaker. And I think the Federal Reserve is coming to the end or quickly, I think, to this kind of uh, monetary tightening. So I think you put everything together. Um, the sentiment is very bearish on bonds. I think all the conditions are there for a peak in, in bond yield, especially in the US, I think much, much less so in, in the rest of the world, especially in Europe. Luca, specifically in the US, is that right the way through the curve, twos out to tens, or is it a particular part of the curve where you have a little bit more conviction on? Look, we think that bond yields have peaked. I think the two years are probably peaking right now as well. So, no, I think it's a general kind of decline in bond yields that we see across, uh, across the curve. And I have to say that we need to see a steeper yield curve to get more optimistic about the markets in general. Luca, the 10-year, the peak in that, 
Is that dependent on what this Fed does or does not do? Or is this just a world where you think this bond market, particularly the long bond, starts behaving like a long bond typically does going into a recession? Well, look, I think the situation, I think, is pretty clear. You have a peak in nominal GDP growth, and bond yields always follow that. I think the question is if the Fed is going to tighten much more than they should. I think the, the jury is still out on this. But I do believe that the Fed will look at the growth numbers, and I think you're going to hike a couple of times more. But markets always anticipate the next move. And the next move, I think, is going to be for the Fed to sound a little bit less off-cash. And this should really give a lot of, uh, I think, a boost to bond markets in general. And Mike Wilson and Morgan Stanley talked about what that might mean for the equity market. This is what he had to say. The moment the Fed decides to put out the fire, stocks and other risk assets are likely to rally sharply. Trying to play that for more than a tradable bounce is a bad idea, in our view, because we still have to deal with the upcoming, oncoming earnings recession. How bad do you think these earnings are going to be, Luca? And do you think what's happened with FedEx, what's happened with Nike, the reports on Apple, are a decent indicator of what you can expect through the next few months? Well, look, I think, as always, earnings will probably surprise on the upside. Uh, but the reality is that we need to look at the guidance. And I think what I want to see is what companies are planning to do, especially in terms of investment plans. We tend to focus a lot on consumers. Are the consumers spending, yes or no? I think we have really to look at what their plans are in terms of investment. And that I'm really worried because earnings are falling. I think obviously confidence is down and it's difficult to see any reason why there should be an expansion in investment spending. And if there is no expansion in investment spending, you have a recession. And I think so there is more downside on earnings in the coming, in the coming quarters. But I have to, to say that what I'm going to look at is the guidance, not so much at the earnings per share, which I think they're going to be very weak, but they're not going to drive markets down. Luca, in your latest note, you, put, you wrote down the preconditions for adding to equity exposure. Could you share that with us? What are the preconditions, the list of things you're waiting for to add to equity exposure? Well, the first is to, to have um, earnings um, kind of expectation, at least in line with trend. If you look at the US, we are still 15% above trend, and we are just pretty much entering a recession. That's clearly not, not sustainable. The second thing that I want to look is a peak in short-term interest rates or a steeper yield curve. And then, ideally, I would like to see uh, more attractive valuation, which is not necessarily what you want to have, because it means that the market should fall a little bit more. But definitely a steeper yield curve and a trough also in earning revisions as well. And we have seen a lot of negative news on revisions. So I think this is the preconditions that I want to see before turning more optimistic on stocks. Luca, we went through that opening quote of yours, and we picked out the peak in nominal GDP picked out the move into government bonds. Let's pick out that final piece of it, that U.S. investors should diversify away from U.S. stocks. Look at where and why away from the U.S.? Look, John, it's not going to be easy. And you know, when we have a global recession and markets down, there are not many places where you can hide. I think I can mention one, though, uh, Japan. Japan, you have an economy that is actually growing, interesting enough. There is no risk of inflation. Monetary policy is supportive, and you still have decent valuation, and obviously the cheap currency as well. So, if I have to mention one now, probably the Japanese equity market is the most attractive for U.S. investors. Luca, are you comfortable with that over a long time horizon? What is the time horizon for that investment? We're talking about six months to 12 months. I think if you 
go over there, I think uh, the uh, the attraction, I think of the of the of the U.S. market is probably more more significant. But over the next six to twelve months, I think for the U.S. is going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult for Europe and if you look at Asia, especially Japan. Luca Paolini of Pigtay. Luca, fantastic Thank to you. catch up, sir. As always, the S&P 500 up by around about six tenths of one percent. Talked about this energy move in the commodity market rallying off the back of this story around OPEC plus energy names on the S&P right now up 3.98 percent up almost 4 percent that's a big story for us this morning coming up Europe's energy crisis continuing to escalate we're challenging at a very challenging moment now because the war is entering a new phase or so it seems we also see that Nord Stream supply was cut first of September We'll get the latest on Europe and the latest on OPEC Plus on a conversation about output cuts next. This is Bloomberg's The Open. I'm Lisa Mateo, live in the principal room. Coming up, Bob Dole, Crossmark Global Investment CIO. That conversation at 3.30 p.m. in New York, 8.30 p.m. in London. This is Bloomberg. We're challenging, at a very challenging moment now because the war is entering a new phase. So it seems we also see that Nord Stream supply was cut first of September. The positive uh, element here is that prices are not continuing to escalate as they did in past months when Putin was using the energy blackmail. Brilliant conversation there with Spain's Deputy Prime Minister Nadia Calvino speaking to Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo. Got some breaking news here stateside. Let's get to it. Here's Mike McKee. Well, John, the Fed is trying to slow growth, but the first indicator of the month of October suggests there's still strength in manufacturing. The S&P Global PMI for manufacturing in the U.S. is at 52. That's up from 51.8 the prior month. The forecast was for no change, so a little bit stronger on the manufacturing side than we had anticipated. ISM manufacturing comes out at 10 o'clock, top of the hour, and that is also expected to register 52, which would be a decline in that index. We'll see. Uh, the world is struggling right now with manufacturing outside of the United States. We're pretty much the only country showing expansion. You look at the global slowdown in Europe today, all of the countries reporting in the 40s. Uh, Italy had a slight rise, but still below the 50 mark. And so uh, we're looking at numbers that are just telling us recession is pretty much here on the European manufacturing side. Mike McKee, what do you learn from the regional Fed indicators at the same time? Well, it, the regional Feds have been telling different stories depending on what region you're in, but they have all kind of at least regrouped, I guess was the way you'd put it. They're not all falling anymore. Uh, they're not rising hugely, but uh, it does show there's still some strength in manufacturing in these regional uh, indexes, and it suggests that the Fed's work is not done on that side. We've been expecting manufacturing to slow in favor of services. But so far, manufacturing hangs in. Mike McKee, thank you. Looking forward to the breakdown of the data in around about 13 minutes' time. Mike McKee and the team breaking down ISM. 
in around about 13 minutes. Looking forward to that. Yields much, much lower this morning. We're down 15 basis points on a 10-year to 368. At the front end on twos, we're down about 15 basis points to 4.126%. In the equity market, a rally up by more than 1%. Leading the way, energy stocks up by 4.6%. Energy in the commodity market running in hard. OPEC Plus considering an output cut by more than 1 million barrels, the first of that size in more than two years. Energy Aspects and Redescent saying the following, OPEC Plus are very focused on stronger U.S. interest rates and its impact on emerging market demand. Hence, they want to preempt any possible surpluses in the global market. Team coverage starts right now with Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo in Luxembourg alongside Will Kennedy in London. Will, first to you, were you and the team surprised by this one from OPEC Plus and the team? I think we were surprised that they suddenly switched it to an in-person meeting, which suggests that they're going to take uh, significant policy action. And of course, a cut by one million barrels a day or more would be a significant policy action. But I think OPEC has been headed in this direction for a little while. They are clearly, as Van Meet has said, concerned uh, about the slowdown in the economy. They're concerned about the weakness in China's economy. And, and they felt that they needed to act and act soon before the market got away from them. So to an extent, but I think that the momentum to some sort of cut has been building. Well, we're having the bets waged right now, whether this one goes on for 12 or 13 minutes or longer or shorter in person in Vienna. Is this going to be a long meeting? I think it will be longer than the 12 to 13 minute uh, meetings that we've been used to uh, because, you know, they've all traveled a long way to get there apart from anything else but clearly it's an important uh, moment in OPEC that they're getting back together in person after two years I think that a lot of ministers are keen to do that to reconnect with their colleagues uh, to sit down and have one-to-one uh, -one bilaterals they haven't done this uh, for more than two years so I think we can expect a slightly longer meeting and if they are going to discuss things other than production levels perhaps they're going to discuss how the agreement works into next year, what people's baseline quotas are, that kind of thing, then yes, it may take a little longer. We'll see. It's probably not what energy ministers across Europe would like to hear. Maria Tadeo, what's the latest where you are? Listen, they have to deal with a lot here. They have to deal with an escalation in the actual war in Ukraine. They have to deal with uh, the energy war, double-digit inflation, and, of course, calls now for a recession. So it is a lot. And then on top of that, Jonathan, and I really want to stress this, a number of countries also taken aback by the mega package that was announced last week by Germany, 200 billion euros. Of course, there is, to put it diplomatically, some questions around whether or not this is a problem for the level playing field in Europe. Remember, not everyone has the fiscal capacity to deal with the crisis of this magnitude that Germany has. And to me, what this says, and this is a takeaway uh, that I take from this, is that the countries that are pushing for this price cap on gas will now double down on this, saying, okay, you do your 200 billion euros, but then we need to cap gas prices. It's the only way everyone gets a fair deal. So this story is far from dead. Maria, just pick up on something you said. How united are the Europeans still on this issue? 
Look, the statement du jour here is that you need to stay united and show solidarity. And so far, the European Union, as you know, has approved every sanctions package unanimously. It's the only way this can get done. But there are a number of countries that behind the scenes here will tell you they were taken aback by the lack of communication from Germany. The fact that they announced a huge package, 200 billion euros, that is very difficult to match for another number of countries. And they now want to show show or see from Berlin what is the political direction in the next few months. So there is a lot of pressure on the Germans to not change course, but explain themselves. Maria Tadeo, Will Kennedy, for the two of you, thank you. Appreciate your time, as always, on the commodity market and beyond. Brent crude up by 4.93% on Brent to 89.40 on WTI, up by almost 6% this morning, up by 5.9% to 84 17. So we get you some sector price action. Let's do that with Katie Greifeld. Hey, Katie. Hey, John. Well, if you look at the sector level, you're looking at a big, broad rally. I see about 10 of 11 sectors higher today with energy leading the way. That's, of course, in anticipation of that potential OPEC plus cut. Consumer discretionary is your sole laggard, as you can see there. That is mostly Tesla's fault. That's the biggest percent and points loser in that sector. And if we focus on autos and on oil specifically, of course, Tesla miss on those delivery forecasts. It's dragging down the likes of Rivian. It's dragging down the likes of Lucid. That is bringing down uh, an index of U.S. automobile makers. So you did have the likes of uh, GM turning positive oil, meanwhile, while America's oil and gas, it's the U.S. shale producers that are actually up a bit more than the larger multinational rivals on that potential cut, uh, but all oil today really just screaming higher, John. Crude getting a nice rally. Katie, thank you. Up by 5.8% on WTI, up by 4.9% on Bren. Energy equities up by 4.2% on the S&P 500, on the S&P on the benchmark. We travel higher, pushing higher by a little more than one full percentage point. Up next on the program, The Trading Diary from New York City. This is Bloomberg. Equities rallying this morning, 25 minutes in. Good morning to you. State of play looks like this on the S&P, advancing by one full percentage point. On the Nasdaq 100, up by seven-tenths of one percent. Within the S&P, the sector breakdown of the rally this morning, leading the way the energy names off the back of the rally in the commodity market, with crude popping higher off the back of the conversation about OPEC plus cuts. Cuts to output, supporting crude, supporting the energy stocks this morning too. Yields are lower. I would say aggressively so. Twos, tens and thirties. This market's all over the place. We're down 14 basis points on a two-year. You yield there 413.82 on a 10-year. Down about 12 basis points to 370. Through 4% last week briefly. And I think we closed last week for another weekly gain in yields for a ninth consecutive week. Will we get some kind of sustainable retreat through this week so far? 
On a session, we're down by 12 basis points to 370, but a bit more economic data around the corner. That's the price action. Let's get to your trading diary. On that economic data, you'll get the ISM manufacturing numbers at the top of the hour. President Biden speaking at 2.45 this afternoon. Then a busy stretch of Fed speak. New York Fed President John Williams kicking things off at 3 p.m. Eastern. Mester and Daly headlining Tuesday, followed by Bostic on Wednesday. OPEC Plus meeting in Vienna on Wednesday. And finally, looking ahead to the main event, the U.S payrolls report coming up on Friday from New York City. Thank you for choosing Bloomberg TV. This was the countdown to the open. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ashley Schubert, wife, mom of five, realtor, real estate brokerage owner, entrepreneur, and lover of Jesus, cookies, my cows, and the great outdoors. Welcome to my crazy ranch. Welcome. Business and Babies is a podcast for women who are looking to live their best, most fulfilled lives. It's for those who want to thrive in all areas. We will talk to moms and yes, even dads who are raising their businesses and their babies simultaneously and doing it well. There will be plenty of faith-filled inspiration and laughter here. So cozy up, start your daily walk outside, or work on that sink full of dishes, and welcome to the Business and Babies podcast. Well, hey, everybody. I'm joined here today with my good friend, Casey Kinney. Casey has been on the podcast before, but this time it's going to be a little different because in the past, we've talked more about being a realtor and being a team leader and just more of running a business and raising babies. But this time we're going to dive into birth. We're going to dive into one of our favorite topics because we both love talking about birth. She's had three natural births, but they've all been unique as birth is. And so I invited her here to share her stories and entertain us with what she has been through because each birth is so unique and special. So Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Again. Again. back to the podcast. Round two. So I'd love for you just to share your birth experiences with all three of your children. Take us back because your first one was 10 years ago. Yes. So I'd love for you just to share each journey, but then also just kind of like what you've, how they've been different, how they've been unique. Yes. I think all I was reflecting back this morning on the three births and they were all so different. Mm -hmm. And I think... With my first, I did Bradley Method. Yes, which I did too, which we are so similar. It's hilarious. It's weird. And Bradley Method is basically husband, coach, childbirth. That's right. Is it a 13-week course? Yes. Well, 12 weeks. 12 weeks. And I just got certified to teach Bradley in February of 2020. Yes. So that was not conducive <laughs> to gathering, and I just have not picked it back up. Okay. So I am certified now to teach. Have I ever taught? No. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll pick that back totally. up again. Yeah. So our my first birth 
we went into it. I had watched The Business of Being Born. And I still have not watched it. Okay. For those of you who don't know, it's like the unmedicated birth, like, gateway drug. Okay. So you watch The Business of Being Born and you like, okay, I think I'm going to do this no medication. And I do think there is a difference. Every birth is natural, but an unmedicated birth is its own special crazy that's a version of crazy it. yeah so like all births natural c-section any birth is natural but this is like a person who chooses to not medicate at all for birth mm-hmm. which they're crazy first of all well and y'all they, are crazy y'all are crazy i mean yeah. women have been doing it unmedicated for yes. years and years before we had medicine yes but now it's very common to yes. use medicine because we can. Yes, absolutely. And I think every woman has their own convictions on what kind of birth they want to have. And my only thing that I tell people is that know what options you have. Totally. And if you go into it and you don't know any options, research it. Yes. It's a big medical event that you're experiencing and you should know how to advocate for yourself. Yes. That's my biggest thing. So for my first, we did 12 weeks of Bradley method. Mm-hmm. And decided we want to do unmedicated birth with her. And we had a beautiful experience with that. My labor started at 40 weeks and two days Mm -hmm. gestation. And I woke up early in the morning with contractions. It's like Um, a perfect, it's just a perfect little story. All three of my births followed the same timeline. Started very early in the morning Mm. and delivered in the evening okay yeah so i was able to get a full night of sleep yeah on all three measures the night before which as you know going into it if you're spending the night i mean if you're awake all night right you're exhausted totally so woke up was having contractions pretty steadily went on a walk took a bath Mm -hmm. called my doula and said i think i'm i think this is happening we ended up going into the hospital at like i want to say 10 in the morning and labored Throughout the day, in and what out of the tub. What were you dilated to when you got there? When I got there, I was dilated to a five to six. Okay, that's decent. I mean, you were in active labor. I was in active labor, yes. And I wasn't... The big rule that our my doula said was to, when you can't post for a picture anymore, mm. go to the hospital. Okay. So I was like, okay. That's pretty intense, because I'm pretty okay till I get to a seven. Well, yeah. you. Some people could be in transition <laughs> yeah. before they could end. By that right. time, you're like, you gotta That's go. too late. You gotta go. It depends yeah. on how well you handle contractions. Yeah. So we got into the hospital. We went through triage, checked in, started to labor there, walked the halls, you know, did all the things. Mm-hmm. When I got into transition, I was in the tub. Mm-hmm. And I was laying there <clears throat> And during contractions, I would close my eyes and breathe mm-hmm. and literally was just did not take in anything around me. Mm-hmm. Eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And then on one contraction at the very, very end of it, I felt a little push. Mm. I was like, mm, what was that? And it was the very end. And okay. so I did another contraction in the tub. And about halfway through that contraction, my body starts to push. Okay. And I turned to my doula. I was like, my body's pushing. And she's like, we got to get you out of this tub mm-hmm. right now because they wouldn't let you. That's right. Birth in the tub. That's right. So we got out of the tub. And this was my <clears throat> most normal delivery. Mm, and your first. Of the three. Yeah. Which I didn't realize until the other two were not as normal. 
I only pushed during contractions and I had little to no pain between. Wow. And so I would, my body would push involuntarily Mm. during my contraction. And then when my contraction was over, I was able to talk and smile and communicate. I know. Which I was like, oh, this is great. You're right. Wait for my second Uh labor. So I ended up pushing for about 45 minutes. It's not bad with your first. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. And I was able to really, I took it all in. I really did. I I did not feel panicked. I did not Mm -hmm. feel stressed. Obviously, it was painful Mm -hmm. at parts during pushing. Yeah. And it wasn't until after that delivery that things got a little crazy because once she was born, she came out, she actually was born with her hand up by her head. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up having a cervical tear. Mm. So they had to go in and stitch that. It was not able to heal on its own. So I had to be stitched. I had a second degree tear on the outside and then on the inside, my cervix had torn. So I experienced a lot of bleeding with that one and they ended up having to give a a lot of Pitocin to me to stop my bleeding. So I had no Pitocin or anything up until after delivery. Did you have an IV during labor? Mm -hmm. Did you have a, like a A hep lock? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have a cord connected? No. No. So it was already in there. Right. And we were at OU. So they were, they're pretty naturally minded. I think of all the hospitals. That's where I had my first two also. We probably were there the same day. Probably. We were really close. (laughs) Oh no, we were a month apart. Mm -hmm. So had to have a intervention after that, which was really scary for Caleb, my husband. We weren't prepared for any type of intervention afterwards, yeah. and that was a little scary. And fun fact, they did say that they were prepared for excess bleeding because they said redheads oh. tend to hemorrhage more than other. I've heard redheads types. bleed worse and yes. like feel pain worse. Yes. Yes. So that was true for me on that one. And my recovery was very much more difficult yeah. looking back. And I think it was because I lost so much blood. Mm. If you look at my photos, my face was like so pale and oh. white. We had to turn most of my birth photos black and white because I looked. Did you go, did your bad. body go into shock too? I think so. Yeah. I, I really do. I, she goes, we probably could have given you a blood transfusion. Oh my gosh. And you would have felt a lot, a lot better. Wow. So looking back, I was really borderline, but I remember feeling so drained. And I think that that's why. Yeah. But the delivery went well. The baby was healthy. It was just the afterwards that was a little, yeah. it was a little scary. Yes. So, and I was glad I did it. You know, you never feel more proud of yourself. You look back and you're like, wow, that was really hard and I did it. A birth is an amazing thing and that that God made us to do that. It's It really is amazing when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. And exactly. you do. You feel so empowered. I always feel so empowered after yes. birth. It's such a cool thing to see what your body does. And I think for that one, having my body naturally push yeah when all you see on tv or anything like that is being coached to push right that when you do experience an unmedicated birth you feel when your body is ready to push which is probably how animals are i mean honestly like i've watched my cows and Mm -hmm. goats and stuff deliver and like nobody's telling them when to push like their body just does it your body will do it that that always has given me comfort Uh sadly it's like 
cows do it, animals do it, like it's natural. It just gives me some comfort knowing that. Maybe you can have this baby on a in your pasture. That's one thing. I just I haven't had a desire personally to do a home birth. Yeah. I think you've had the desire. Yes. My but husband you, shut me down. Yes. Yep. And that happens a lot. Yeah. Mine would be more would be open to it if I was, but I just I don't have that desire. Yeah. I would rather be in a hospital. Yes. But I want to be with a doctor who allows me to make my own choices. And yes. that's always been super important to me. Totally. So yes. And you did placenta encapsulation. I did. I actually was I had not a lot of money at that time in my life. I encapsulated my own placenta. That's an amazing thing in and of itself. I Googled it. <laughs> how to do it it really disturbed my dad he was like what are you doing he said that's cannibalistic yeah, i was like dad it's i mean again. it makes if you read the research behind it there's a lot of supporting evidence on having it for postpartum so i we took it home we got a food dehydrator when you say we me and my mom you and your mom your mom bless her traumatized both of us. I just remember holding a placenta over my kitchen sink, washing it. Mm -hmm. And first of all, a placenta is really cool. It's, yeah. I mean, like, it's amazing that your body can actually grow an organ. That's true. And then just dispose of and it. And just be done with it. Mm -hmm. Be done with it. Blows my mind. It is amazing. And when you think about all of the iron and nutrients yeah. and stuff that you lose when you lose the placenta right, to think right. about resupplementing that back into your body it makes sense it does make sense so i did that and we dehydrated it wow ground it up wow i still have a pill uh you know a capsulate encapsulator okay did it myself. The other two, I had enough money that I could pay someone to do it. And it's not expensive to do, it's to not, pay someone. No. But props to you for doing it yourself the first time. You got to do what you got to do. Trauma. You were dedicated. I was dedicated. I don't know why, but I did. So. I'm doing it for the first time this time, but I did hire someone to do it for me. But I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to it. Yeah. It really helped a ton. I always look at mine because they always ask you, do you want to see it? And yeah. I always say yes. And I'm yeah. always like, that's amazing. And then they just Pose up tree of life. You should get the placenta and print. print and put it up in this office. <laughs> Bricks and branches. <laughs> that would be traumatizing. That's the branches of your tree of your tree of that life. That is the tree of life. Those are cool. That is so funny. It does look like a tree when you Yeah. I've seen the print. When you print it. I know. No one would know. No, no and then they ask and then just say you don't want to know. And then all your agents have left and they're like, oh, what's that? What's happened to Ashley? It's a little too natural. She brought her to the office. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you're enjoying this podcast, I think you would love my book, Raising a Business and Babies. You can find it on Amazon. Raising a Business and Babies is a Christian woman's guide to flourishing at work and at home. This is my first book and it's the most popular. I hope you love it. Find Raising a Business and Babies on Amazon today. Okay, so let's move on to your second birth. All right, my second birth was a little more chaotic. This is actually the best story. Okay. So a little backstory on the second birth. This is my son, Wallace. So my first is my daughter, Roslyn. She's 10 now. So Wallace, we did something called, well, let's go back. So we found out we were pregnant 
around the same time that Caleb, my husband's brother, found out that they were pregnant as okay. well. They'd been trying for years. Oh, okay. They got pregnant. Okay. And it was a real miracle. And then we found out that we were pregnant at the same time. Our due dates were two oh, weeks apart. That, oh, yes. Okay. Yes. yes. I've seen so, the cousin's pictures. Yeah. Our due dates were two weeks apart. So... Mm-hmm. They were due at the end of July 2016, and we were due August, I want to say August 9th or 10th, 2016. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to it, and I'm fully prepared to go late. Yeah. And let's not say late. Let's say past 40 weeks. Right. That's (laughs) right. We all know it's all relative. That's right. So it's August 3rd. I go to dinner, and they're 10 days past their due date. Oh, they are. Okay. At this time. Oh. Okay. So they're way overdue. Uh-huh. And we want to say overdue. Let's just not. Uh-huh. They're, they're past their, their Totally. I've been 10 days over <laughs> and I know how that feels. It's terrible. I mean, every single day you wake up oh, and you're like, is today the day? Oh, yeah. And people yeah. ask you, when are you due? And oh, you yeah. say 10, 10 days, days ago. ago. And they're like, oh, my call an ambulance. Yes. So Heather, my sister-in-law, was planning an unmedicated birth okay. as well. And she had gone through, she had gone, I don't know if she went through Bradley. I think she did go through Bradley on that one. Her first birth was twins. So oh, she had a C-section okay. with them. Okay. So the second birth was her so first single baby. A V-back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we went to dinner that night and still Nate and Heather, they're on baby watch. Yeah. And we're all freaking out because sure. they weren't going to tell anybody until the baby was born. So at dinner, I said, we should drive by Nate and Heather's house to see if her mom is there, her mom's car is there. Because if her mom's car is there, maybe it's baby time. That's funny. So Creeper, we drove by and nobody's car was there. So we were like, man, but Caleb talks to his brother like five times a day. They talk more than that. They talk like 10 times a day. That's a lot. They talk all day long. Well, nobody had heard from Nate or Heather Oh, this day. Interesting. So we were like, ah, oh, it's got to be. It's got to be time. But then no one's car was at their house. We we're like, maybe they're busy. Yeah. Uh, we don't know. So fast forward to 3, 4 a.m. I wake up with a very strong contraction. And well, let's go back to going home. I went home, took a bath, noticed I was feeling crampy. I was just in a bad mood. I was like, I'm going to go to bed. Roslyn was four at the time. She was stalling bedtime. She wanted me to say goodnight, lay by her, you know, all the things, which Mm -hmm. I didn't, Mm -hmm. which I felt really bad about later. So went, woke up, I was having strong enough contractions where I was like, whoa. And I was not ready to deliver that baby. I was five days before my due date. Five days before. Okay. Mm -hmm. So. It's funny because my second was five days early. Same that person. was my only one that was early. Same person. Yep. Anyway, we decided to call Caleb's mom to come over and sit with Rosalind. And so we called her and we went to the hospital about 5 a.m. Okay. Okay. So we pull into OU Children's and guess whose car's in the parking lot? <laughs> you saw their car. They their, their car's in the parking lot. So we were like, we knew it. That's awesome. They're in labor and went up to triage checked in they said what's your last name and we said kenny oh and they the nurse looks up <laughs> looks down looks up and caleb goes my brother's here isn't he and the nurse they can't say no 
like HIPAA. HIPAA. Yeah. You know, they cannot say. So the nurse is like, okay. Uh-huh. Um, and Caleb's like, my brother's here, isn't he? Oh. So we realized about that time why we couldn't get a hold of our birth photographer, Brittany, because she was there oh, wow. with Nate and Heather with their birth. Wow. Same with my doctor. Oh, you had the same doctor. Same too. doctor. So we found out that they had been there all night long since yesterday, since the day before oh. afternoon. She had been pushing oh. for hours. Oh. And I and she ended up having to go for a C-section, unplanned okay. C-section early that morning about mm-hmm. 7 a.m. Okay. Okay, so we were able to we were there and I showed up in active, active labor mm-hmm. when I found out that they were having to intervene in that way, end up having a C-section, which she didn't plan for, nor mm-hmm. did she want. The baby's position was just not in, conducive. not conducive to a vaginal birth. My labor completely stalled. Oh my goodness. Which is one miracle of birth. You always hear like, moms will get up make their kids breakfast get their kids to school and then like come home and right get to work it's having a like, baby it's like the mindset or it's like our body just knows yes uh-huh. your brain your body and your body does not feel safe yes to birth yes it won't that's so interesting because my doctor told me last time because I always have my babies in the spring or last time was June and I'm so yeah. busy at work. Just like the cattle. Oh, so I'm it's glad to have fiddle. a fall baby this time. <laughs> so last time she was, I was like, why can I not go into labor? I was already late. And she's like, how much do you have on your to-do list? And I'm like, well, I still have five closings to finish or whatever. Mm -hmm. She's like, that's why your body won't go into labor because your mind's not allowing it to. She's like, you need to either check these things off or you need to like give them away and get it out of your mind or your body's not going to release to do that. Yes. And so like, I am a believer in that. It's so true. (laughs) I, I could not believe it. I went from contractions four to five minutes apart for a minute intense. And when I got there, I was dilated to five or six again, Mm -hmm. went from having contractions to every 10 to 12 minutes. Oh gosh. And they were 30 seconds long. Just because you were worried about your sister-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were really worried and we were able to go in and meet the baby, which they had kept the gender as surprise as well. So we were able, and they didn't know we were there because she had gone in for a C-section so we got to go meet the baby, find out it was a girl first. Mm-hmm. And that was just a really special thing, which I cherish that memory. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, I remember crying when I found out that she wasn't going to be able to have the birth that she wanted. Yeah. yeah. And I just think that my brain was like, <laughs> you're not going to, right. It's not time yet. So I ended up having to pump. Mm-hmm. To get my contractions started again. Yes. I ended up having to take a lot of the, like, I had to do the mile circuit, and oh, which yeah. is like a certain way to move. I forgot about that. I did that you one know, time too. The peanut ball. I had to yep. do all of the positions, which our birth photographer <clears throat> slash coach slash doula had us do. Okay. To get contractions going again. Yeah. That didn't happen until five or six o'clock. Oh, like 12 hours. Yeah. Okay. 
So at one point, I our doctor came in. She said, I've been up for 36 hours mm. with your sister-in-law. Oh, I'm going to go home. I said, okay, you go home. Hi, I'll do this on my own. Gosh. So she left. So we have no doctor. And you're an active laborer, so it's like you don't feel safe going home. You I personally. wanted to go home. I said, may I please go home? She goes, you could, but you're going to be back in like five or six hours. Do you want to go through triage again? Right. And that was what I was like, fine, I'll stay. Yeah. yeah. I'll stay and have this baby today. So I knew I didn't want to be in labor for a million years. So I was pumping. I was still checking my work emails mm-hmm. because I had not intended right. to have that baby, right. quote unquote, early. And you weren't in serious labor again yet. Yeah. You I mean, were just like, like, let's go home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll try again tomorrow. My first was a lot like this. So I remember all this. Stop and go. Mm-hmm. Stop and go. Mm-hmm. Finally, I got to a place where my contractions intensified. And I was sitting on the bed and I had them sit me up straight mm-hmm. and drop the feet. Oh. So I was almost in a seated position on the bed. So my the back was all the way up and the feet were all the way down. Oh, you were just sitting. I was sitting. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I roll over, you know, the hospital cart, the, mm-hmm. the dinner cart, yeah. the tray. Yeah. So I'm leaning over the tray. I have a pillow. I'm just leaning over And I remember instinctively, I knew my hips were not positioned correctly. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if I tilted my hips forward, that the baby would come down. I can't tell you how I knew this. I had no scientific knowledge of it. I just remember at one contraction, my body's like, your hips need to go forward. Wow. So it's like if you're sitting and you're kind of, your tailbone's tucked. Mm -hmm. Well, my tailbone needed to go out. Yeah. My hips needed to tilt forward. Yeah. So one contraction, I go, okay, my next contraction, I'm going to tilt my hips forward. So I tilt my hips forward. No doctors in the room. No nurses are in the room. Well, it's only my birth team. My best friend, Chris, Caleb's cousin, Kylie, my best friend, Brittany, and Caleb. Okay. Four. Yeah. Three in the room? Three. And you. Three of my girls and Caleb. Okay. And me. Four. Yeah. People. And you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brittany was taking video. Chris was taking photo. They're my best friends, but they're both videographers. Okay. Amazing. And then Kylie, she's my girl. So anyways, I do that. And all of a sudden, I feel the biggest pressure. Like I'm birthing a, a bowling ball. Wow. Okay? One contraction later, I just position my body correctly to get the baby down. And I reach down because of this pressure I'm feeling, and I have a head about Mm. halfway out of me. Oh, my goodness. Just from tilting your hips. Mm -hmm. And I had been Mm. having the most difficult contractions up to that point. I could tell that they were needing to do something, but that they weren't doing what they needed to do. So simply like changing my position, got the baby's head down. Your body just knew what to do. Yeah. And I remember reaching down and it was probably a baseball size baby's head. Yeah. And I feel it. And I just yell, there's a head, a head. So my friend Chris pulls the covers down. And sure enough, oh, there's gosh. a baby's head. And I knew your doctor had gone home. Nobody's there. <laughs> so whomever delivered me, I don't know who delivered me to this day. Yeah. I think it was a resident. Yeah. Maybe. 
terrifying. Yeah. First of all, with the next within the next push, his head was born. Oh my goodness. And the next push after that, his body was born. Wow. So he he went from I went from not pushing at all to heads halfway out, heads all the way out, bodies. That was chaotic. I didn't like that so much because it felt very out of control. Yeah, totally. Very out of control. A little scary. I think it shows like why so many cultures birth like in the squatting position or standing position because Mm -hmm. of the gravity of that. Yeah. Just like you tilting your hips like that. Truly. And your body will know instinctively what to do in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. Even when your mind does not know what to do. So he was born... I had a great, I felt so much better after that birth yeah. because I didn't lose right blood, <laughs> right, which we were scared about too. We were like, is it going to happen again? Mm-hmm. So they were prepared for it. But you that didn't time. tear this time. I didn't tear. I tore all three times. Oh, you did. Okay. I'd have stitches all three times. Oh, okay. Second degree tears. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I know stitches every time. So that recovery was just like. The one before, but I felt better because I yeah. didn't lose all the blood. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and then we got to go see his cousin, yes. Esther. So they have the same birthday. So yes, Wallace and Esther, we call them the twin cousins, mm-hmm. got to meet in the hospital. That's so cool. And we got to wheel them across the hall to visit one another. That's so um, cool. And that was really special. Yeah. And Caleb's parents were just... Over the oh, moon. that's I mean that's cool. They got two grandbabies on the same One day. day. Really special. And what was cool was that Heather didn't know what she was having. Yeah, our girl. So she brought a boy going home outfit and a girl going home outfit. Right. And they were both like kicky. And you knew um, you were having a boy. And you I knew. announced yeah. it. So we stole Heather's boy outfit. Oh, okay. And we got to dress up. That they got to be dressed coordinating That's because their cool. boy girl outfits were similar. Okay. And they were so cute. That's really cool. So sweet. So they've grown up together as yes. cousin twins. That's yeah. so fun. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Love it. Okay. okay. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, just a reminder to leave a review on iTunes. So if you'll search for business and babies, leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other women find it and enjoy it just like you. Thank you so much for your reviews. It means the world to me. And hey, I may be reading your review in a future podcast. The third was the most chaotic of all. Okay. It was... 2019, we had gone through, well, I forgot to mention we did hypnobirthing. Oh, okay. I don't think I knew that. It's more, I would say more visualization. Mm -hmm. They don't describe contractions as contractions. They describe them as surges. Uh So they've changed a lot of the words that are kind of associated with pain for different words. Okay. Which has helped a lot of women not be so scared of the pain of childbirth. Mm-hmm. That method, I think, was less effective for me than Bradley because okay. it doesn't really give the husband as much of a role. Mm-hmm. It's more mom 
mindset. Mindset, yeah, exactly. Mindset for the mom. So for us, Bradley was great because it gave Caleb more of a role in the delivery room, which Caleb was a great coach every birth. He was right beside me the entire time, encouraging me. He was a great birth partner. Mm -hmm. Could not have done it without him. Mm -hmm. The third one was similar in timeline. I was... 39 weeks, and I went to my 39-week appointment, Mm -hmm. and the doctor said, you're dilated to a five or six. Mm -hmm. You're not going to make it through the weekend. Isn't that amazing? Love and hate, because by the time Monday rolled around and I didn't have a baby. You were already a five or six before the weekend. My midwife called me a silent dilator. Yeah. She's like, your body's made to have babies. Yeah. So my last one, I was dilated to almost a five when I went to my 40 week and four day checkup. So, and I wasn't feeling anything. Yeah. So I feel like we're the same in that. Just goes to show you, you could be dilated to nothing. Right. Or a five or six. Yeah. But I was, I loved that because I'm like, hey, I've already got, I'm halfway there. Let's go. Halfway there. (laughs) So when I got to the hospital or no, let's, let's rewind. It was my due date. And I had been stressing out for a week because my doctor, mm-hmm. whom I trusted, was like, you're not going to make it. So that last week, yes. I wish she wouldn't have said anything because right. I got so impatient. We went to my 40-week checkup. Mm-hmm. She stripped my membranes. Okay. And it was painful. Yes, I've still never had that done, but I've heard it's painful. It wasn't with my first two oh. when I've had it done. I've had it done with my... With my first two. I've had it done with all three. Okay. With my third, it was pretty painful. Okay. We went to Jersey Mike's afterwards. We're sitting there. Do you remember that? Yeah. I remember all. This is vivid detail. (laughs) We were sitting there and I'm having contractions. Oh. And it's 11 a.m. Right after. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and this is my first time that I haven't, my body hasn't started labor early in the morning. Okay. So I'm experiencing these contractions and they're not, they're not dying down. Mm -hmm. So Caleb, for some reason, had to get wasp spray on this. (laughs) It's funny. There's a wasp in this room. It's like symbolism. He was like, I got to get wasp spray. I'm like, of all things today, I'm pretty sure I'm in labor, but let's go get you your wasp spray. So we go across the street to Lowe's. I'm like, I'm not going in. Like, I'm, I might have a baby here. So I'm sitting in the car and I'm like, by myself, I'm like, I think I'm in labor. I really do. Right after she did that. Yeah. Like, that's I, what your body needed. I think that sent me straight into labor. <clears throat> so I call Caleb. No wonder it hurt. Yeah. I call Caleb. I, he's in Lowe's. Oh, and gosh. I said, I need, I think I'm in labor. Like, I gotta, you gotta get out here. So it's Friday night. It's the first football game of the season. Oh. My husband's a high school football coach. And he's like, I, you think we're not going to not gonna make it to the game? <laughs> I don't know. So we go home. We call the parents. Kids are in school, I'm pretty sure. I don't know where the kids were. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And packed our bag. And we headed to the hospital about 2 o'clock okay. in the afternoon because we think this is it. We get to the hospital. They say, all of our labor rooms are full. We're full. Where am I going to have this baby? 
um, in triage. Uh So I'm laying in triage, Uh experiencing really intense contractions. Yeah. With no room to go to. Uh And I tell, again, my body, my body's like, nope, we're not going to have this baby until we get into a room. Mm -hmm. So my contractions slowed again, yet again, until we could get into a room. Mm -hmm. Once we got into a room, I kind of got my stuff set up, my music set up, my oils, Mm -hmm. and we were able to kind of do labor there mm-hmm. and it's i hated that it slowed down i really feel that's like so frustrating if that stuff hadn't have happened yeah. i would have had the baby so and much i sooner. had my second in triage just because they didn't have time to take me to a room are you serious mm-hmm. the, the, the little bitty tiny room but in i did triage yeah because i didn't like i was i got to triage and it was time to push so I have done that. <laughs> were you so scared or were you just like, this is what I'm going to do? I was just so ready. You know, it was yeah. like, it was time. Yeah. It was time. And so it was just like, I didn't even think about it. I feel like mm. I, I was just like, oh, no. I guess it was a bed, mm-hmm. but it was just a tiny room. Yeah. Oh, well, did your doctor make it? <clears throat> nope. No. I was at OU at the time and I had a midwife and she did not make it. So there was a midwife on duty. Mm-hmm. I did not know her. I'd mm-hmm. never met her and she delivered him. But you know, when you go in and you're a nine and a half, which I was, you're like, it's, I don't care. You, yeah. Somebody come catch it. You're so deep into it. You're <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm going to have the baby here in the yeah. hallway. So. And we went to, we did bath, we did walking, mm-hmm. we did, that was a really special time. My dad got to come back and kind of walk some halls with us, which was really special. That is sweet. We got to see the kids. Someone brought the kids to us to visit about 3, 3.30 okay. in the afternoon. By the time they left and when they were in the room, my contractions were nothing okay. as well. It's like your body knew. Yeah. Eventually, I sent them out and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to have a baby, guys. Like, I This is going to have to happen. Yeah. And I started to feel, I felt bad for the birth team, too. I didn't want them to hang around. I know that they're probably not thinking that, but in the yeah. back of my mind, I'm like, you guys are here with a job to do. Yeah. We had our doula. And our videographer Mm -hmm. there. So with that one, I had a really difficult pushing phase. This was the only birth that I begged for an epidural. Okay. I was there in transition. Mm -hmm. I've been in and out of the tub. I made it back to the bed. I'm sitting in the bed. I'm just, my contractions are on top of one another. Yes. I don't feel like I'm close to pushing yet. Okay. And I am in pain. That's the, that is the hardest time. It truly, that's what they call it transition. It's the shortest, but most intense phase of labor. So I turn to my husband and I say, I want an epidural. Like, I'm not kidding. Like whatever code word I need (laughs) to say, I'm I'm saying it. With our first, the code word was macaroni. Okay. And the doula said, if you look at us and you say macaroni, it means divert from the plan or make it a new plan. There you go. So it was my macaroni moment Mm -hmm. and nobody listened to me. Nobody was taking it seriously. I sent my friend Brittany out. I said, Brittany, go find a nurse. I want my epidural right now. And she looks at me and I could tell she's like, 
Had you already had an IV? Like, had you already had fluids? No. So you couldn't have had one anyway. Well, don't say that. Okay. Because in my mind, mm-hmm. I was like, come yeah. Because right? <laughs> I've been there before. Yeah, right? and they're like, you haven't had any fluids. Mm-hmm. You have to have fluids for an hour before you can have one. Is that true? It's true. <laughs> I mean. Okay. Yeah. So you couldn't have now. had one anyway. Great. So Brittany looks <laughs> at me and it's almost like a, like, she's kind of looking at me side eye. She's like. Yeah, because you'd never had one. Yeah, she's like, I asked for one. I don't think you want this. So she leaves. And I think a nurse came in. It was checking me. It was all a blur at this moment. And I'm all of a sudden I get a contraction where my body starts to feel like I need to push. Mm -hmm. But still... I'm not accepting that yeah. it's happening because I'm still thinking they they went to get me an epidural Oh, and I'm going to wait for that. Okay. And then I get mad at my husband <laughs> and I looked at him and he's just staying there helpless. Uh-huh. And I, and I said, you, you promised you'd help me. Oh, you promised, which he says to this day is the, the meanest thing I've ever said to him. Cause because he wanted to take care of there's you. nothing he could do no you know and my doctor comes in she checks me mm-hmm. she says there's a little lip of my cervix mm-hmm. in the way mm-hmm. i've heard that before she says are you okay <clears throat> if i push it back during your next contraction to allow the baby's head to come down where it needs to go mm-hmm. and i said no ma'am no <laughs> and she looks at me and she's like okay and so she goes, okay, would you, during your next contraction, give me a little push? Would you push a little bit? And I said, no, I won't. And by that time, my next contraction was starting. Oh. So I was like, I'm okay, I'll just do it. I didn't tell anybody I was going to do it, but I pushed down a little uh-huh. bit. I pushed down a little bit because that's what she told me to do, even though I told her no. And I'm so mean at this time. I'm so mean. <laughs> And finally, I did that. I did that little push, mm-hmm. and I could feel the head come down okay. where it needed to go. Yeah, with that push. And I just remember we—I had my worship playlist on my birth playlist, which was worship music. And I have never had this moment in any of my deliveries. I had my eyes closed, and I had my hands raised in worship but it wasn't like a beautiful worship moment it was more of a a desperation worship moment where i was like god i need your help yeah because i don't know how i'm gonna do this yeah i i was desperate and so there's a really beautiful photo of me with my eyes closed with my hands raised that's really cool it's beautiful and yet i just remember on the inside i was like god I need you right now. Yes. Because I'm, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. So that delivery started. I remember my doctor, Dr. Jones was like, we're, we can't go back now. Like it's happening. Yeah. So by that time I was like, okay, I'm not going to get that epidural. Right. <laughs> I got to feel the rest so now of Now I have to birth this baby because he's like, <clears throat> almost, the head's almost, you know, yeah. right there crowning. So... We did that, and finally he was born. I don't remember much of the pushing of that one. It was just intense. It was really intense. Wow. I, it was 
It was the most out of control I've felt during delivery. Wow. And you just have to remember, like, grand scheme, all three of these intense moments were less than 30 minutes of yeah. time. Yeah. It wasn't like you're, you were in yeah. the depths of this for hours at a time. Yeah. It's, it's minutes. Yeah. It's minutes, but it feels like... It can feel like a long time. Yeah. So he was born pretty quickly after that. I did not push very long and with him. He was my second shortest, Wallace being my very shortest, uh-huh. Roz being my longest pushing. Yeah. But with any of them, I, I never pushed more than 45 minutes. Yeah. So Rhodes was born, it was probably about 10 to 15 minutes of pushing. With That's him. not bad. That's not bad no. at all. None, they didn't have a hard time. <clears throat> And you tore with him, too, though. Tore with him, too. Yeah, I had to have two stitches with him. And that's the worst part, too, of a lot of people don't know when they have to push on your stomach after yeah. birth. Yeah. That hurts. It does hurt. And then when they have to come back in and push on you to check things. Yes. Yeah. It hurts. That hurts. Uh-huh. And when you have to have stitches down there. Oh, see, I haven't had stitches, but I'm sure it does. It hurts. Yeah. Because you don't have any, you don't have, you're not numb. Right. So they have to shoot you up with, okay. with lidocaine. Yeah. And you have to get a shot. Down there. Down there. Yeah. It hurts. That does hurt. So that was the last one. Had a happy experience. I told Caleb to never let me do it again. Yeah. Never after, let me right do it again. after that. Yeah. Yeah. Never, like, I'm that never was my doing last this one. again. But then you look back two years, two, three yeah. years later and you're like, that was nice. That's so, great. That is so birth amnesia. Birth God amnesia. gives us birth amnesia. We would Truly. never do it again. Truly. Well, you had three beautiful experiences, such sweet stories, and all unique. That's what I love about birth is it's yes. unique. And I hope you guys will do uh, be Bradley coaches eventually. One day. Again. One day. Because I think you'd be great at it. I just think I want to empower women to have the birth that they want, yes, which is education-based. Yes. And if you do all the education and you say, I want to go epidural route, I don't want to experience that intense pain, mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. Every birth is different and every woman's choice is different. Yep. I My biggest wish is that women would advocate for themselves. Yes. And then also to avoid unnecessary intervention. Yes. That's, that's my biggest thing. That's why I'm calling this birthing segment intentional birthing. Yes. Because I don't think that like there's one way that's necessarily better than another. But I just want women to be intentional, to make their own choices and to know that they can. They have the choice on the kind of birth they want to have. Yes. And I want them to feel empowered to be educated Yes. Before they go in and then to make their own choices yeah. and find a doctor or a midwife that supports that. Truly. And yes. unmedicated birth is not for weird, crunchy women, which I think a lot of the birth community yeah. is, for some reason, there. I think there's a stigma behind it being yeah. weird in the medical field, I right. would say. It's less common for a woman to say, I would like to do this with no medication. Yeah, especially we're in the United States. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When in every other country in the world it's like, great, right. let's do it. But in America it's it's less normal. So I want to encourage and empower women and especially spouses as well. Yeah. Partners totally. in birth. 
that they need to also understand what's happening in the That's delivery right. room. They need to understand what phase we're in. Mm-hmm. And going from having a textbook birth with my first beyond the interventions afterwards... I was able to be like, okay, I think I know what phase I'm in now. And that's empowering. Yeah. Or what if I'm shaking or if I feel nauseous or something like that. I'm like, okay, this means my body's probably in transition, which is the shortest phase of labor. Right. And I should be in stage three, which is pushing before I know it. Yeah. So that's encouraging to also know that you know what's happening with what's your body. Happening. Exactly. Well, I think you and I are in the same mindset. So I hope this encourages women just to do the research, do the work, yeah. get the education behind what birth means and make intentional choices for the, the birth you want. But then also to know that things happen at birth, each birth's unique. And just uh, like be aware of what you are willing and not willing to do and accept. 100%. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. It makes me excited hearing your stories. A little bit scared because I remember all these things vividly and it's yeah. like, oh gosh, I'm about to do this again. Why? No choice. You got to do it again. And that's what I think every time I go into labor. I'm like, well, no turning back now. And it's like, why did I do this again? This sucks. But yeah. One more. One more. It's the last time. Last so, so thanks for being with me, friend. I enjoyed it and it was fun chatting. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening today. To connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at Ashley Schubert Speaks or on Facebook. If you'd like to check out some of my books, you can find them on Amazon, including my most popular, Raising a Business and Babies, my devotional, 30 Days to Shine, or my newly released book, Overrated. I would love it if you would take just a minute and leave a review for this podcast. It would mean the world to me so that others just like you can find us and listen to some of these episodes that we're providing for you monthly. Thanks for listening and have a great day. When it comes to fitness, what's real? How about a personalized plan and a coach that give you 360 support at every step, from fitness to nutrition to recovery? That's Anytime Fitness. That's Real AF. Visit AnytimeFitness.com. The Triple B Podcast would like to invite you to come break bread with your brothers. If you like what you're hearing on the show, if you think we missed the mark, or if we got it all wrong, reach out to us on social media. We can be reached on Twitter at triple underscore B underscore pod or search Brothers Breaking Bread Podcast. We are the Brothers Breaking Bread on Facebook and our email is brothersbreakingbreadpod at gmail.com. Further descriptions are in the show notes like follow, friend, do all that good stuff. And please never forget to break bread with your brothers. How y'all doing? We out here. Chillin' down the spot. What up?
going on, y'all? Brothers Breaking Bread Podcast in the house. The women have left us alone. <laughs> Do what we want. Like the little rascals. Little rascals. We, we, we leaving the toilet seat up, all that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do what the fuck we want to do. What the fuck we want to do. We got fucking Zab the Soldier, Slim AC here, half of the brother Doom Joe Jeff. I don't know where Tim Mears is at. He probably out stopping diddling. We got some stories where he probably got to be out just averting niggas from touching kids. I'm the KC Stork. What's going on, fellas? Chilling, brother. Hey, bro, we missed you last week, man. Man, I missed y'all too. I did. I did. Like, I came home and I like hopped on, and Joe was like, "Hey, it was a quick one." I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> getting in, getting I know, out. nigga. You rang the phone. Motherfuckers was asleep. Motherfuckers was asleep. Like a nigga that came by unannounced. Slid in, slid out. Yeah, hey, hey, man, that's good shit though, man. I, ah, let's get it in so we can talk about it. Hey, man, what's going? What's going on, Zeb? How you living, man? Good, brother. I'm good. I'm chilling, man. You know, everything's cool, including my feet because it's getting cold. Mm. But uh, um, yeah, man. You know what? I've uh, actually been uh. Last time you were on, you were talking about uh, Peaky Blinders. Mm-hmm. So, I've been watching a whole lot of fucking Peaky Blinders. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, it's good, ain't it? Yeah, it's a pretty good show, man. It's not great. It's not but great. It's a good show, man. My girl yep. had told me about it like a couple of years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I might have even watched like a piece of the first episode, but uh, I, you know, I just didn't follow through with it. Yep. Oh, yeah, man. Appreciate what? you reinforcing that. And uh, what season are you on? Shit, what season am I on? 
Uh, it's the season after his aunt was killed. It oh. might be season six. Oh damn! You just season you... after. His. Don't I don't know how many seasons the show even has. I try not to pay attention to that sort of shit. Hey, so hey. that so that I don't know like when the ending might be happening, coming up and shit. Uh-huh. Hey, put it this way: I'm on season four, so. <laughs> Yeah, yes, I told you. <laughs> Thanks, dog. I'm not, I won't tell nobody what happened. <laughs> nah, I'm just fucking around, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah, man. So, so yeah, man. Everything's cool. I do got a bit of source on my side eye. Um, with it. I don't really, I don't really do it too much. But um, you know, man, I I try to be a a a, a good and helpful uh, neighbor. You know what I mean? But. Uh, you know, but also, you know, there's certain, certain, uh, respect, you know what I'm saying, that I require also. Right. And just curtsy, you know, just being neighborly, you know what I'm saying? So where I live at, you know, it's a, it's a duplex and, and the people connected with, with us, uh, they probably moved in like the beginning of the summer or something like that. No, nah, no, nah, I was still cold. Cause I remember shoveling her, uh, I remember shoveling the walkway for her, but, um, Anyway, so we shared like the drive. You like we have a, a garage. We our garages are in the back of the house. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. And um, and so you know you got to drive down the driveway, and we shared the driveway and the and the space in the back uh, where you know. And so sometimes they'll park their car in the back, and you know it just be in the way and shit. And you know, so I've had to tell them to to you know, hey, can you park your car? in a different way or, and like the chick can't park dog. She, you know, cause we also park in front of the house on the street. Cause mm-hmm. it's one garage. And you know, it should be parked like three, four feet from the curb and it should be crazy. But, um, anyway, so earlier today, um, dude came, you know, knocked on the door and, uh, it's like, who the fuck is that? Cause you know, usually if somebody gonna come by, we know ahead of time. But uh, it was them, and they were, and he was asking if uh, if a vehicle that was parked in there, in front of their their uh, portion of the duplex, was ours, even though they know, you know, what our cars look like. Right. And uh, so, you know, my girl, she answered the door. I was sitting right there, though, and you know, she was like, "No, nah, that's not ours," you know. And so, um, I was, you know, I was looking through the. We had the windows and doors doors open because it was nice, you know, nice day earlier. So I'm looking out there and I see him. First of all, it was a gang of space. Like if you know how to park, easy to park, you know, because they didn't really take up their space, but they was in their area. Right. And so, anyways, they just went on and parked, right? So I was thinking about it and I was, I asked my girl, I was like, so you know, why you think they uh didn't go to the other people? You know what I'm saying? To the, like, the next duplex over. You know, because, like, if, if if there's a car park there, there, the person, whoever came from that car either went to our spot or the the next duplex that's on, you know, on their side. Right. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, only only thing I could think of is two reasons, man. Like, you know, let's just call it, you know, they're shy or something, and they didn't want to, you know, maybe they haven't really met the people that live in that duplex and they ain't want to, you know, go over there and say nothing to them or whatever. I don't really believe that, but I'm, you know, I'm saying that's a possibility or, you know, it's just like, you know, they thought they like, you know, this motherfucker be coming in and telling us, you know, so that's like, yeah, you know, we finally we got to get them. 
finally got a reason to go say some shit because you know the chick she done caught an attitude before when I you know when I said something and uh, you know but I just thought it was funny man because I'm like number one you ain't gonna more than likely you ain't gonna have to do that because I try to be a good neighbor you know what I'm saying I try to you know make sure that my car that our cars are part where it ain't obstructing you you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and um, you know man like I don't know, man. That's just some bullshit, bro. You know, I want to get along with my neighbors. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, it's funny, too. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, keep that same energy, though. Like, you know what I'm saying? If it exactly. was, if it was, you know, what? go talk to them. Because obviously it's theirs. You know what I'm saying? So that's some bullshit. But that's it. That's it, man. I had to get that off my chest. I'm glad you handled it peacefully. Yeah. I mean, it ain't, you know, it ain't nothing to escalate. Yeah. Yeah, we know something. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, chopped them up and then tried to burn the bodies <laughs> over two days. Over two days. <laughs> Am I too soon? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, good shit, man. Glad glad you're here, bro. Slim AC. Yo, yo. What's up, What's up Mike? Shit, man. Uh, just coming off uh, battered and bruised, tough loss, man. No. Oh. Uh, uh, you've heard about the woes, uh, Rob and Joe, uh, in various different conversations about how tough it is uh, with the with the the school and the team that uh, you know, my girlfriend's son plays for, like just the whole coaching staff situation, man. So, um, low key, I got a side eye and an evil smirk behind it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> evil smirk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because I'm I'm happy, but it's fucked up. Um, so Tuesday or Wednesday this week, there's a memo that goes out to you know all the players, parents, and all these people, right? And the memo is like from the athletic coordinator or the athletic director saying that the head coach is choosing to move on to uh, San Antonio because he has to take care of his kids and he has to go away. And, you know, he has to just do other things. Mind you, I told this nigga, super old school, think the game done passed him by. All right? There's boosters that pay a ton of money. Like, they pay money at this. These boosters at this school pay money like college boosters. Like, it's stupid the amount of money these people spend. So, I go to the game tonight, and I both I told both of y'all what kind of offense. I haven't told Zeb because we haven't really talked about it. But I told Roger and Joe what kind of offense they run. Um, tonight, these niggas lined up with a fucking spread package and threw the ball in the first quarter 20 times. Okay. Now, mind you, my point is, nigga, if the head coach is retiring and it's it's sudden and nobody knows and he's stepping away, you do not revamp and re-philosophize your entire offense like this. These niggas knew that this nigga was finna be out of here. Somebody plotted that shit. So is is the head coach on the was he on the sidelines or did he step off? No, he's gone, bro. Like gone. They installed a new offense as soon as he left, huh? They installed nigga in two days. <laughs> <laughs> in two days. All them all them blocks was being missed. Nigga, and, and that's why I scored, and that's why I scored six three. So. 
Like I said, I knew it was coming. I, when I win the game, they, I knew they wasn't going to win. I literally said last week, next week, y'all going to lose 59-7. I said that. I was off by a touchdown the other way. So had Uncle Buddy been there, what would the score have been? I would have said it would have been 59-7. <laughs> nah, they would have got But they must have felt like you, too, though. They must have felt that his, uh, his uh, offense was outdated. Bruh, it was beyond outdated, man. Um, you know, it was purely – they purely got beat tonight, not because they had better athletes. They got beat because the team across them had organization, 10-year coaches, and they looked like they had some structure. <laughs> That's what the fuck was going on. Had to do it. So, anyway – um, the boosters got that motherfucker out of here, and they was already ready for it, which is why they had a new offense. So, nigga, I had an evil smirk and fucking side at the same time, like y'all full of shit. You didn't, didn't want to see the Veer one more week? Nigga, I did not want to see Dan Devine's offense in 2022 <laughs> anymore. Y'all watch, y'all watch a lot of Remember the Titans and shit? Uh, gotta get the pitch. I watched Dan Devine this week. Um, Rudy. <laughs> Radio, nigga. That's a good one, coach. Anyway. <laughs> but you good, bro? No, I'm all good, man. Got moved, got situated, man. So now it's just unpacking and cleaning uh, from here on out, man. But no, I'm all good. I'm straight. Hey, what them spreadsheets are like with them butt plugs y'all selling? Ah. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> the motherfuckers flying off the shelf. They fly. They, they. Nigga, they doing more than flying off the shelf. <laughs> My bad. I just, I, I was wondering. I made the sales is up, so that's good. <laughs> hey, something is up, nigga. Hey. Hey. Y'all like, y'all like losing money and that's like a stopgap? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they diversify their bonds, dog. You got to hey, diversify. Um, that's a lot of shit, bro. <laughs> I don't know what you... Yeah, I don't know, man. Nah. I don't know what a bug plug is going to diversify, bro. Nah. Go ahead. Knock man. yourself out. Knock yourself out. Keep yourself up. Anyway, good shit, bro. <laughs> What's going on, Joe? Man, <laughs> um, finally got some meets in this week uh, with my basketball team slash cross country team, and uh, we didn't we didn't embarrass, so I'm glad for that. Good. Um, nigga, my wallet was lost all week. <laughs> I found that shit today, so I'm happy for that. <laughs> it's always in the last place you look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, what's up? Like amazing grace. Yeah, yeah. You come in a little low, Zebs, little low. Okay. Yep. Um, 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 I got a couple games to announce this weekend, so uh, I I I got dismissed from a game over at Northeast High School today. Cause the fucking mic didn't work. So <laughs> gotta check, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and then tomorrow, uh my own mater is playing, so I don't think it's homecoming week. It was for Northeast. I don't I don't I think ours is coming up, but uh so we got a Saturday game at noon, so I'll be getting up early for that. 
Nice. But that's what's going on in the world of Joe. Shit. What up, Bosco? Oh, nothing, man. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, last uh, week, my uh, daughter was in town um, for the uh, Twins homecoming game. Uh, great game. Um, they uh, sent some boys from uh, Kansas, Blue Valley Northwest, uh, right back across state line with a fucking L. Um, and uh, it's kind of similar to what, uh, I guess the opposite though, <laughs> AC talked about, we talked about too, I think a little bit, Joe, just like, I don't think people understand, we have a top 50 ESPN player on our team. We have the number two player in the state of Missouri on our team. It's yeah, same. tackle? Yes. Six yeah. foot five. 315-pound offensive tackle. Run the ball. Run the ball. Run the ball. Run the ball. What we did today, we ran the ball against Ray Peck. Ray Peck, uh, was it two, three years ago? I think two, you know, two years ago, one state, um, the state of Missouri. Uh, last year gave us a pretty pretty tough game. This year, it was 21-0 to in the first quarter. Mm. Guess what we did? Ran the fucking ball. We didn't try to get the ball to the Suns coach and be cute. When they like, they they came out first play. They came out fucking jumbo single back. <laughs> Guess what? Forty yard play. Mm. First play of the game. That's my. Let's go. Let's go. That's my yeah, no, they they shit. They the, the, didn't like we. The next play, it was like the coach's son motioning away from the tackle, and everybody's kind of like, oh, what are we gonna do? Oh, we gonna hand the ball. Off to the white boy, who I love, number five, and we're going to run right off our fucking top 50 ESPN player, number two player in the fucking state of Missouri, off his fat ass, uh, 40-yard run, touchdown. Where's he going? Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, he's prototype, nigga, 6'5", 315. Yeah, I get it, yeah. He should be able to – he got a pass block, too. But in high school, at that weight, and able to move the way he moved, running the ball. That's not the same big boy they had last year, is it? Huh? In high school, I mean. No, they had, uh, he was there last year. He's got a little bit better, but uh, we had another cap getting He went to Missouri. Okay. Yep. Uh, I believe he, he was a, <laughs> huh? Is he redshirting or is he playing? He got a little bit of time in the, he got a little bit of time Auburn game in the last week, I believe. I, got, I guess I, forget, I know his number, I forget his name, though. He probably when they ran behind when they dropped the fucking football on the end zone. Hey, y'all, don't t- <laughs> see, 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 don't do that. Almost, bro. Right, don't put that on the line, nigga. Hey, hey. I'm not. I'm saying he the one who got up. He, he got up to the end zone. Did, did you see that play, AC? Huh? Did you see the play, nigga? That was the play. I unplugged my TV when he dropped the ball off. I didn't see I, all of it. Bruh, this all he had to do was dive with two hands into across the goal line. That's the game. That's the fucking game, bro. I'm really surprised Coach Thirty didn't do some shit on that. Dog, I I mean when the game was so boring. It's, it's not new. worth it. The game was like the niggas. It was, was a very boring game. And I'm ha- I'm so happy that FUBU TV, the FUBU Fubba, FUBU. Whatever fuck I got, they decided to go to something else, so I couldn't get the game. And then I, I saw the clip on Twitter, like 20 yeah. minutes later. 
I'm so glad too, AC and Joe. I would have unplugged my TV and threw that bitch off the balcony. Nah, that's all I got was the fucking highlights too. And it, uh like the chat group, uh y'all, but then also the one with uh Gator and Ruben and, and Shazad, they yeah. were talking about Yeah, like one of my uh guy I work with, he hit me up, Did you see did you did you fucking see the way they lost? And I was like, Nah man, it's probably not I probably shouldn't and like ten minutes later I saw that clip. I was put my phone down. And then the question right, uh, 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 So so where you rank them? This one, the fucking Auburn game, the flea kicker, Ooh. or the fifth down. Nigga, nothing's I, I, I can only speak from being a part of the fucking flea kicker. And that shit is was fucking horrible. Yeah, I would say flea kicker, fifth down, then that play. I don't know. Fifth down is legendary too, bro. I just know what I'm saying. Both of them, they won. Both teams won a national championship. National championship. Yeah, so that's what's real disgusting. Good. <laughs> that's what, hey, Auburn about to. But, now that, but it, it's the uh, it's the wrong end zone, ain't it? No, no, we was at Auburn anyway. I'm driven. These motherfuckers. Anyway, 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 anyway. Uh, yeah, and never mind. Uh, that. In the in the midst of all this MU fuckery, KU balling, balling. Yeah, they are. Like Mangino style. Yep. Hey, and like it ain't none of this shit. Where I'm just looking at the stats. I have seen two games. Yeah. These niggas playing good, but fuck them still. But they playing good anyway. Most quarterback they got, nigga. He 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 hard time. Hey. Okay, so okay, so anyway, back to that. So yeah, good game tonight. Like I said, blew the backs off of Ray Peck. Uh, as long as we run the ball and keep giving the boy, I mean, I, I, I gotta find this boy. I keep can't keep calling him Whiteboard Number Five. I gotta find his name out. Keep running the ball and get the ball Number Five. I don't know if we are gonna win state, but we definitely should be at state. Cause ain't nobody on this side of the motherfucking. Uh, 70, they can fuck with us. Who gave y'all that L? Hey, that's when we were trying to force the ball to the coach's son. Yeah. Yeah, that's when they he got that's figured it, it out. Huh? You think he's figured it out? He's figured it out because also our center was, our, uh, we got a new center. We played Liberty North. Our first five plays, all the f- ball snapped into the ground. Then followed by our next series, the next two snaps in the ground, Offsides all this shit and still trying to pass the ball when we could get snaps. I think if we play Liberty North today, we beat them niggas by 14. If he comes with the same mindset of we going to fuck that, we running the ball. So with the twins, they uh they just blocking downfield or they getting targets too? Oh, uh, blocking downfield, uh Oh, I gotta look at my, let me find my book. Yasir, he had like uh, say sixty-five yards. Had one where if he would, if I'm like, where the fuck was you looking? If he would have cut the ball to the outside, it would have been a foot race, but it would have been a sixty-yard touchdown. I think he could have ran the safety, but he tried to be cute and cross him up and cut back across the field. No sir, I said plant that foot, get your fucking ass up the sideline. Um, Xavier. Uh, Two catches for 20. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, the receivers are blocking heavy uh, this game. Um, they got another cat. I think he's a sophomore, found out. 
Number one, keep an eye out for this motherfucker. They ran a wildcat play. Uh, he took three steps, cut that bitch off the tackle, 80-yard touchdown. Mm. And I'm talking about, like, down the middle of the field. So we all, we all play football. So that means you breaking the angle on the cornerback, in, on two cornerbacks in the safety run down the middle of the field. And he just, I mean, like, not once he, they, it was like somebody dove, and then it was just 10 yards and just gone. Anyway, uh, yeah, life's good, man. Uh, go Broncos, they 5-1. Let's keep it going. I hope we do get to see Liberty North again because we owe them niggas for two years. Let's go. <laughs> anyway, so anybody else good? Sir. All right. Would you, would you, uh, you do your, your old buddy from the the Broncos called uh, Let's Ride. Hey, Bronco Country, let's ride. <laughs> 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 oh shit. Okay, all right. Uh we opened the show up with uh Coolio, you know, rest of place. I should have I should have get that uh, Lonely Man music up, man. But yeah, Coolio rapper uh hit of Gangster Paradise, Gangster Paradise, uh, Fantastic Voice, Dead at 59. Um as far as I know, they're just speculating. I don't know. Fantastic voyage. Rise, rise, you lie. Hey, like I, I listen to Gangster Paradise, but that like first, the first couple of lyrics are very dark. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is very dark. <laughs> yeah, that song blew the fuck up. I remember, like that shit was huge, man. It was bigger yeah. than the movie. Man. It was big. It it made the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, damn, this is about a high school movie, and this fucking opening, these, these first couple of bars is dark as shit. Yeah. Let's not forget Grammy Award winning Coolio. Yeah, yeah, my bad. You all right? You all right? You all right? Uh, but yeah, uh, as far as all the stuff I've been reading and hearing, I haven't heard, they haven't been specified the cause of death, their uh, speculation, cardiac arrest, but that could mean a lot of things. Could be a cardiac arrest brought about by what? So I don't know. I don't know whatever Comer Busy had. I know that uh, he was getting ready to tour over in Europe, and that was the reason why he was back. I was set, think believe back in uh, was it Los Angeles? I believe he, I think they said they were saying he lived in Vegas. He was back in Los Angeles to handle some passport shit, and that's where he passed away at because he was getting ready to do a tour over in Europe. Mm. Yeah, so sorry, sorry, listeners out there. Um, still look, uh, waiting to hear exactly the cause of death. But 59, man, that's especially in this day and age, that is relatively young, you know. So, damn, <sighs> it's power, man. that's the power. You, see, you said, uh, who, who sent that? shit? It was a, it was a message to Stacey Dash. Oh, well, I think that was uh, Lady Lavender. <laughs> it's a message to Stacey Dash. Did you hear about Cool Deal? Because I don't want to hear about this shit in a year from now. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, poor Stacey Dash. Anyway, what a dummy. Rest in power, man. Uh, what is happening here? Why are these tabs popping up? Okay. Um. All right. Uh, keeping it interesting, second grader was instructed to send pictures of you doing reading homework in the bathtub, parents say. Jacksonville, yeah, Florida. What'd you say? 
the normal assignment. A normal assignment. So, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, Florida. A second grade student was removed from the classroom after her parents questioned the homework assignment. Students at Victory Christian Academy were asked to, quote, unquote, send pictures of you doing reading homework in the bathtub. Misty and her husband, uh, Christopher, were shocked to see this written on their eight-year-old's homework assignment. (sighs) Yeah. Didn't they kick the little girl out of school, right? Yeah, because, I mean, there was a protest, the school... I mean, we can go. We, I can read all of it. Or we can wrap it up. Uh, the, the school, they basically said, hey, this has been going on for years. You're, on, you're the first family to raise questions about this shit, which I was like, <laughs> like, like, huh? Kept reading. They asked the parents to remove, like, basically just say, hey, we're withdrawing from the school. The parents said, nah, fuck that. And yes, long story short. The school said, well, we're going to do an administrative withdrawal of the student. Yeah, that's crazy. And was it like a Christian academy or something like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't even know where to go with that, bro. That's I don't know what to go. I, don't, I got six kids. I don't know what to do if at any point in time in their fucking academic career, like, they want you to do what? Uh, did they overreact? Did they were they clear in the instructions? Because well, uh, sure you're clothed and what, what they did say you can like be in pajamas in the bathtub or some shit. But I guess the parents were like, but still, why we got to do that part of it? Is there were they reading a book that was set in the bathtub? I don't know. <laughs> what was the reasoning behind it? That's but 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 here's the the wild shit. Why the school hit them with the double down? Like, hey, this is what we do. If you don't like it, get the fuck out. This That's what, what we I'm do. I'm trying to figure out. There had to be some. We missing something. Something's missing. The, I, I literally like every story that, I read. Your fucking story about, you know, bath time. That's what it had to be. I just read the article, you know, that was in the chat group, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't see any reasoning that they gave. They just said, have fun with it. You can be in your pajamas, blah, 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 being in uniform, but have fun with it. But the parents were like, but it don't sit right. Like, it's something's missing. I, 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 I'm hoping, because I'm like, how am I, how am I, how's my kid getting kicked out of a school? I guess it's a private school. I get that. But still getting kicked out of school because I don't want her or him to sit to, to have pictures of him in the bathtub reading the book. Did they say you could have fun with it, like after the fact, like like after the parents bitched about it, like they sent him home, like, hey, we want to take you, want you to take. I, I think, I think, yeah, I think the parents called and the teacher the, the email, yeah, the mom emailed the teacher. So that that was like the the the, the initial response was that they say here, the, uh, I emailed the teacher, hey, you may want to explain that, send something out to the parents, let them know what the intentions are. This this does not sound okay. Miss uh, Misty Dunham Dunham said she did send a message saying you should be in pajamas, be in your uniform, have fun with it. But it did. But the parents said, but it didn't sit right. So the school replied, just have fun with it, basically. And the parents was like, it still don't sit right with us. Yeah, it's it's got to be a book about. <laughs> it's got to be a. They they're reading a book about that time. They trying to take yeah. Maybe they got a Mr. Bubble sponsorship, nigga. I don't know. 
it's something, man. It's not because no. They've been doing this for years, and it's the first complaint they got. That's what Some's they. That's complaint. what they're saying. Yeah. If they're telling so you know we can read it. Uh, the mom, but uh, she just she said something. Just, she did something. She did something right by telling her mom and dad that it wasn't comfortable with something, and now she's no longer in school. Christopher uh, Dunham said. So that's the the uh, parent. The president of Victory uh, Christian Academy, Pastor uh, Jesse uh, Lada, sent us this statement regarding the assignment. There was an assignment given. As I understand, you received a copy. It was taken uh, out of an. Of an online teacher resource has been used in many schools. There was certainly no bad intention with the assignment. When the parent contacted our teacher with a complaint, our teacher immediately sent out a correspondence to all parents in the class to assure them that there were no bad intention with the assignment and to clarify the guidelines. No additional concerns were presented to the teacher. While the assignment was completely innocent, out of an abundance of caution, and for there to be no misunderstanding, our administration has removed this particular assignment for any further. Wait a minute. So now this, they removed it, but, yeah, so they removed this. So they put it out to all the other parents. So they removed it. When asked about the status of the student, why there was an administrator withdrawal from the school for the student, we have not heard back. So the student still got, they say they removed the assignment, but the student at this point in time of this article it's has been administratively withdrawn from the school. What the fuck qualifies for an administrative result or uh, removal? Is that me? Oh. oh, wow. Hey. Hey, hey, hey at ease. <laughs> that was perfect timing. Anyway, uh... Hold on. In a police report obtained by Action News Jax, it states parents were told by the administrators we have been we have been sending this homework assignment for years and you're the only one complaining about it. Police advised the parents not to take the photo. Later the Dunham family said they got a call from the school. He said, I think you guys should do a parental withdrawal for the child. I said, I can't I can't do that. We refuse to withdraw her, Mr. Dunham said. He said, Okay, thank you for saying that. And then continue on saying, we're going to proceed with an administration withdrawal. <laughs> you can say, fuck what you want. <sighs> I, think, I, uh, I hope there's something else, because this thing is crazy. I think we see an outliner, an outlier on the uh, upcoming graph where they didn't fuck around. No. They still found out. They still fuck around. They still found out. <laughs> it's not a it's not a foolproof system. <laughs> it's basically it's it's a scientific method. You know what I'm saying? It is it's, it's not foolproof. It should be a, it should be a dot spray chart. It's it's close. <laughs> it's it's correlational, man. There was a direct correlation between how much they <laughs> fucked around and how much they found out. <laughs> oh, okay. The niggas yeah. played the middle and lost. <laughs> oh shit! Oh man! Oh, uh... okay. Um, moving on. A uh, family of three charged in PNB Rock's murder as fathers arrested in Las Vegas after going on the run. Freddie Lee Trone was arrested one day after his wife and son were also taken into custody. Now this is about what a month, two weeks, month, two weeks ago, a month ago. Uh. Earlier this month. Okay. Yep. 
So, uh, yeah, P&B Rock, uh, out of California, murdered. Uh, 40-year-old man has been arrested and charged in connection with the fatal shooting rapper P&B Rock one day after his wife and son were also taken into custody and booked. Freddie Lee Trone, 40, was arrested Thursday afternoon in Las Vegas and charged with one count of murder and conspiracy to commit robbery and two counts of second-degree robbery, according to the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office in the Los Angeles Police Department. Craziness. Yeah, man, that's just, that's just crazy. That's a family. I don't. Yeah, it's a whole fucking family, dog. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Fuck, are we doing, man? Like, hey, Zeb, can you uh scoot into the mic? Uh, about as close as I can get. It's a little. Yeah, loud. is that better? Yeah, right there. Yeah. Better. Uh, yeah, man. I'm just saying, like, I don't. Oh, hold on, let me. Um. Yeah, that's just crazy, man. Like, I don't, I don't understand what the fuck is going on, dog. Like, um, you know, apparently, I don't know. They said that somebody, uh, that was in the restaurant alerted alerted them. You know, mm-hmm. I think they said they were out in the parking lot or something for whatever reason. I don't know why. And somebody went and that was in the restaurant told him that, you know, dude was in there eating, eating, uh, with a bunch of jewelry on and shit. And I think they said they left and came back. Mm-hmm. And then the 17 year old son went in and, you know, did what he did, murdered the dude and, and, you know, took his jewelry and I think his girl, some of his girlfriend's jewelry or something like that. Yeah. Then it- his father drove away. Go ahead. No, I, stuff I've been uh, or heard about and reading, and then one of the podcasts I listened to, they were talking about it is, uh, you know how uh, motherfuckers be on Instagram talking about where they at and then just taking pictures and shit. So uh, the original story that came out, what I heard was that his uh, girlfriend, this uh, um, Stephanie Shibanega, <laughs> wow, I'm going to murder that. Wow. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> she uh, has sent a, shared an Instagram story about where they were at prior to the shooting. Yeah, I, I, I heard that also, which I don't understand that. I never understood. I, I don't understand that type of thinking. That's what. That's what people. Yeah, but that, but that just you know we old, we old and washed because I yeah, these, yeah, young, right. these, yeah, these yeah, young folks we talking about. My, my, I was asking my uh, twins about, it, and they was like, yeah, man, you know, you you when you posting pictures, you post the pictures when you're on the plane leaving. You don't post the pictures when you there at the location. Nigga, that sounds like a B and E waiting to happen. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's how that is. What they say. That's how. Uh, oh boy, got killed. A uh, short rapper that was that got killed out of L.A. Oh, uh, have I don't know. I'm missing. MC? Young dude, young dude, not New York dude. Oh, the one, the drill, drill rapper dude. Drill rapper. Oh, shit, damn, damn it. You talking about Pop Smoke? Yeah. Pop Smoke. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pop Smoke. Yeah. Yeah, that he accidentally uh, somehow shared the location art. Like they saw somehow his brother, rather, you know, had mm-hmm. was was filming, you know, putting up an Instagram post or something, and like some, like a letter or some, I forget exactly, you know, what it was, but somehow the location got, was seen on there. Yep. And that's how them cats, you know, came and caught him up. But yeah, so that was the, that was the original story. And, you know, I know I heard, I don't be doing the Twitter and stuff, but I heard that, uh, you know, a lot of people was, you know, basically blaming his girlfriend for doing that. 
Yeah. Uh, but then, like I said, this new information uh, came out, and they was like, you know, there was somebody in the restaurant that uh, that alerted, you know, uh, them to what's going on, or at least that's what that's the theory that you know that the uh, no, this, police is working with. No, this this report, uh, yeah, it agrees with what you're saying too. It said police sources, however, told the Times that Fred Trone and his son were already in Roscoe's parking lot before the Instagram was posted. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's just but you know, I saw I saw um a post by Fat Joe. I think I put it up in the chat group maybe last week or something. I don't remember when it was, but and you know, and he was just saying, you know, amongst other things, he was like, you know, I mean, if you gotta do it, if you just feel like you need this dude's jury and you just gotta rob him, you ain't gotta kill him. You know what I'm saying? But I figured it was probably going to turn out to be some young cat, you know, and, uh, you know, motherfucker just wanted to, you know, make a name or whatever, you know what I mean? And, um, but damn, man, to find out that his father drove him there and basically probably gave him the, you know, go handle that, you know what I mean? I don't know if he told him to kill him or whatever, but you know what I mean? He's fucking 17. Yep. It's just crazy, dog. Like, I don't, I don't understand, you know, how supposed to you know man how we supposed to to get the head <laughs> you know what I'm saying when we doing this type of shit dog yeah man it's sad it's sad man we gotta it do hurts. better we gotta do better y'all but yeah man um might I, might I just say uh Roscoe's got some damn good chicken they do have a good chicken sir I hear I hear that I haven't yeah. I couldn't vouch for it myself. I don't know if it's worth killing for, but I hear it's pretty good. <laughs> I don't, I don't know oh. if it's worth getting killed for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Pretty good though. Uh mm-hmm. well uh speaking of other well, I don't know. Uh, chicken bitch, I don't know. I know y'all talked about this uh, last week, but uh, we keeping tabs on it. Brett Favre's charity reportedly donated seven Donated to Southern Mississippi's Athletics. Um, we'll see Brett Favre, uh, Favre for Hope Charity, which was created to support disadvantaged and disabled children and breast cancer patients. Donated more than $130,000 to the University of Southern Mississippi Athletic Foundation from 2018-2020. Tax records retained by the Athletic and ESPN show. At the same time, the Hall of Fame quarterback was trying to raise money for a new volleyball stadium at the university where he played football and his daughter is a member of the volleyball team. The funding for that stadium is under investigation in a widening state welfare scandal involving tens of millions of dollars. Upwards, I think it's like $77 million is what they're talking about right now. Was the, the name of the organization was Far for Hope We Get a New Volleyball Net? or I guess, bro. Hope We Get... Some <laughs> hey man, but oh, <laughs> it, it, I, well, first I want to know, or I, I well, I don't know. I gotta ask people to play. It, is his daughter any good in volleyball? Y'all know? Mm, my dad's D one like a motherfucker, so that's fine. Mm. I, I, honestly, a, I didn't know he even had a daughter, bro. That too. I just I don't know like this reminds me of like uh, I guess it's not the same but it kind of reminds me of that shit we was that about a year and a half ago two years ago we covered that scandal when motherfuckers was getting their kids in the school for, on the road team and shit out in California. 
Well, I know it's a little different. I know it's like, yeah, I know it's different, oh, but this, this kind of reminds well, me of it. But, but you remember, uh, Zoo Arena used to be Page Arena. Yeah. Yeah. Um, motherfuckers just buy shit and name it after their daughters and shit. I don't know. Or buy shit for their daughters. I don't know. Yeah. Invite my kid to your school, and I will steal from the state to make sure you get a new uh, volleyball arena. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Can't wait till this nigga's in jail. He ain't going to jail. <laughs> they gonna send Marcus Dupree to jail. I mean, hey, they, they gonna, they... I meant to ask you why, why, why did Marcus Dupree catch all these strays? Because he's a nigga who got caught up in this, <laughs> and he's like, I guess questionable practices with the money. I guess he had some, uh, he had a, a horse ranch or some shit where he was using that for. Uh, uh, re- rehabilitation for inner city use had them come out there work and you know basically therapy with animals. This shit happens the all the time. Same money. It's some yeah so yeah. Like wow. I think I think it's like it's under a million, but it's like six hundred to five hundred thousand dollars, some shit like that. I can't remember because uh, I was like reading and doing the halftime at the game. That's where I saw that saw the story at. But yeah, yeah, he the. Like I, like, I was like, hmm, ESPN, I see what you niggas trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all trying to make my man Marcus dog <laughs> the face of this scandal. He only got 600000 Brett didn't got fucking five. Come on now. Niggas <laughs> said we can do the bait and switch. Yep. Trying to do the Emmy on me. <laughs> Uh shit. But yeah, uh Yeah man. Uh one of the, what was it? Maybe the poor state in the union and these motherfuckers steal the money, so definitely keep an eye on this shit. Nigga from the fucking charity too though, bro. This nigga double dipped on the shit, man. Double dipping. <laughs> Dirty dick far. Like, fuck them kids, bro. <laughs> fuck them kids for real. <laughs> Fuck your titties. Fuck your breast cancer. Yes, indeed. Unless you go to Miss, unless you go to Southern Miss, I don't give a fuck. No, yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, speaking of other people that uh, this society doesn't care about, uh, DOC Commissioner Salt Dime Man's release to avoid publicizing more Rikers deaths report. Uh, New York, New York City Department of Correction Commissioner Louis uh, Molina sought release of a dying, dying inmate as the department faced minor scrutiny for the higher rates of deaths and mismanagement in Rikers Island. Uh, New York Times reported. The Times obtained an email uh, Molina sent Thursday encouraged department officials to ensure Elmore Robert Poindexter, 59, was quote-unquote off the department's count. Hours after the email went out, Poindexter was granted a compassionate release and then taken off a life support of damn and then taken off a life support of Bellevue Hospital. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've been hearing like throughout the course of this year, um various reports about inmates dying in Rikers, so I guess that is, you mm-hmm. know, been an issue. Yeah, they said it was like record numbers of deaths. Yeah. Yeah, I've been hearing reports like here and there. It's coming across shit, so <laughs> I guess they was like uh, they got a they got a what they call it uh in the police department they always just said in the wire uh, cook the books, cook the, the books, 
<laughs> says Poindexter was the 16th person that you moved past, bro. Yeah, my bad. Poindexter was the 16th person to die at Rikers or shortly after being released from the notorious prison this year. The same amount died in custody or shortly after release in all of 2021. They're trying to make them trying to make up for time. Yeah. Said COVID COVID guys behind the eight ball. Mm-mm. Do a second. Yeah, so like, I think like it's got a history for being filed. Well, they kind of spend it as if we give you a release that gives you an opportunity to to be around loved ones mm. in your last moments as opposed to being in the prison. So yeah, but. My man was on life support, and they pulled it. <laughs> well, he was going. He was going to die. Yeah, I thought die. he was going to die anyway. But it was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, not here, nigga. <laughs> wait, wait, wait till man Adam signed that paper. <laughs> and they they fucking turned the fucking breaker off. <laughs> <laughs> They said, ain't gonna be no generator. Turn all this shit off, nigga. (laughs) (laughs) Nigga said, they did a whole power down. They did a whole power down, nigga. Power all this shit down. (laughs) Yes. Turn it off. That's fucked up, though. That's bad. That's bad. Oh, damn, that's bad. I mean, I mean, now yeah, I get what you're saying, Joe. Like, yes, yes. No, that's, I, no, that's what they said. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> is, this, is, is this something that they normally do? That's what I want to know. They had a name for it. Compassionate, oh, yeah, compassionate release. I this, mean, yeah, there's a such thing as compassionate release that happens. Oh, it's not a, it's not a, I don't think it's like a common thing, you know what I'm saying, necessarily. It shouldn't be, but for these niggas, it's commonly in your prison. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. We got one to go. (laughs) I ain't gonna lie, I ain't mad at him. Oh, shit. Ah, okay. Uh, oh, but I mean, it sounds like they fucking with the numbers, though. Yeah, it's very sketchy. It's very sketchy. Yeah, it's like, but like, niggas just playing the odds. At least family members get to be there, present and shit. Fifty nine and on life support. So what happened? Yeah, that's a quick question. That, he, he got the he got the two. That's a good question. He got the two. <laughs> Coolio was fifty nine too. Yeah, I mean, I know what I'm saying though, but we they, they, Coolio, we still know the actual cause of death. They say cardiac arrest, but brought on by what? Yeah, a lot of things can cause. You know what I'm saying? So, like, for this man, like, oh, yeah, he was on, like, he was on life support. Did he Why? He beat down by prison guards the <laughs> he was on life support. I mean, I mean he could have been, like, bad health. Yeah, that's true. He could have been in bad health, all this stuff, too. But it's like, hey, man, I got one quick question. Why was he on life support for the first reason? What is it? This nigga had a cafeteria accident. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? He might he might have high blood pressure from all them top ramen. Ooh, that that is good. That is good. Cause that top ramen, I had mm-hmm. I, I missed the ramen. Commentary is not your friend. <sighs> yeah. Okay, man. Yeah. Stop fucking up, uh, Rockers. Damn it. Oh no! What happened? 
Oh, there it is. They, hey, they watching us. They didn't want. They didn't want us to. <laughs> this the, the hey, they putting the shit in my computer. This the one page that took two seconds to load. <laughs> yeah, download some malware, bro. Hey, Uh-oh. I'm here to tell y'all right now. Y'all about to see a lot. Y'all might want to take this shit off my computer. <laughs> you gonna overload the system. Take <laughs> They don't, they don't want to see what's on this computer. Stay on my tax documents. Anyway, uh, hey, hello, uh system gonna go. Doom. Hey, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just <laughs> motherfucker just go black. What? What happened? What happened? We didn't even explain the story yet. <laughs> oh my bad. <laughs> this is this is why we can't be left alone. Uh, churches uh, are using quote unquote uh, spyware to monitor porn activity <laughs> of its members. Uh, this is from the Euroweb Everything Urban. That's okay. Uh, September 27. Churches nationwide are reportedly using anti porn applications to keep tabs on. Co- Congregates' online activity. The churches are using accountability, quote unquote, my bad, using quote unquote accountability apps such as Covenant, uh, Covenant Eyes. <laughs> Covenant Eyes. Accountable to you. To, oh, make, so. to make sure members don't view content considered immoral. Both apps claim to distinguish between distinguish pornographic images from non-pornographic ones. The Covenant Eyes app allows you freedom through transparency. The app sits quietly on all your all my devices. Oh no! Uh, monitors your screen activity and provides protection through blocking. Per the official website, the app can be installed on all devices that need to be monitored. So are the are the members like? Uh, willingly, you know, are they consenting to this, or is the church? I'm guessing so. I hope so. Yeah, that's what it kind of sounds like. Let's see. Have to make it covenant. Oh, shit. Hey, y'all want this? Porn is a human problem. We provide a human solution. Oh, is that the app? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A human solution. They're gonna provide me. They're gonna provide me with somebody. (laughs) (laughs) I know a human solution. Let me go wake her up. I'll be back. (laughs) We got got the contractors on site. (laughs) We got we got hands on site. (laughs) (laughs) This nigga said we got contractors on site. <laughs> Come on, girl. Boop, 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 boop. Go on back that in there. Boop. <laughs> oh, this is this is interesting. Oh man. It took a lot of courage to admit to one of my best friends that I had this problem. And thankfully he was very understanding and willing to help. Yeah. I'll be like member. I'll be like <laughs> I wish one of you niggas would call me A Rod, man. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be like, man, y'all get the fuck off my phone. A <laughs> Rod be like, me too. Me for Christmas. Hey, in the background here. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> 
was, I was in the middle of something when you called. So sticky. So, so sticky. So sticky. Oh, man. Oh, man. Wow. They got, oh, shit. They got the Victory app. Come, you know, we getting out of it. Oh, it's a companion app. Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, they get alerts. Yeah, you get alerts. You get the alerts. Hold up. <laughs> what the fuck you doing, Roger? <laughs> why, are you, why are you on bootymixtape.com again, nigga? <laughs> we see you. Holy shit, I was not ready. Oh, wait a minute. I gotta pay somebody to stop me from watching porn? Oh, no. No, 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 no. You've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Zed, watch Piggy Blinders. This <laughs> like when when he said he was gonna shoot old boy's son in the leg, he like too much, too much. <laughs> you said too much, friend. <laughs> My bad. Oh shit, I'm crying. Ooh, yeah. So. Oh, hold on. It's a video? Hold on. We got to watch this. Yeah, it's a video. My grandfather struggled with it. My father struggled with it. And I struggled with it. And me and my wife have this saying that we're Joe and Jennifer Kimmons, Generation One. Because we're the ones that have broken and broken the generational sin. And it's a beautiful. This nigga said, My grandfather struggled with it. My dad struggled with it. Did nigga that? They been over there trying to tame the monster, bro. That's a generational curse, bro. It's in the genes. Some oh, niggas get diabetes. Other people it's, got poor to be a resurgence in uh in uh Playboy and Hustler and shit. Oh man, yeah. working around the app. Yeah, that's what they gonna do. They gonna go back low tech. They gonna hey, it's like fucking Taliban, nigga. Hey, <laughs> you go high tech, we go low tech. Hey, Playboy <laughs> Playboy's under the mattress. <laughs> right. Oh, hold on. We got fifty. Hold on. It's a thing to see how my daughters don't even really understand they're innocent when my 16 year old is still innocent and that's so beautiful that she doesn't have to the same that hold on dog he my 16 year old she's so young and so beautiful she doesn't understand like what is your addiction nigga what is i need to understand this right is this, is this nigga talking in cold Hold on, dog. Why are you, why are you sweating, nigga? Why are you, he looking at his daughter like she a side of a side of meat. I said, hold on. We not talking about the same addiction. Donald Trump talk about Yeah, I said, hold on, Chief. We not talking about the same addictions here. <laughs> 
this nigga was trying to fight the monster, bro. I'm trying to tell you, he uh, was doing it in the room. Hey, nigga. What, what's that Dave Chappelle movie where he went talking about he addicted to weed? <laughs> they said yeah, weed. <laughs> Who this man? Who this man? Hey, the brothers breaking bread. Sure, we talk about masturbation. This nigga want to fuck his daughter. I'm like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> what? This, this is not the addiction we thought we came here for. This nigga's in the room struggling with it, bro. He's a fucking breakfast nut. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta keep pushing play. Hold on. What Joe and Jennifer have to say that what Joe had to and I struggle with it. And me and my wife have to say that we're Joe and Jennifer Kimmons generation one. Because we're the ones that have broken and broken the generational sin. And it's a beautiful thing to see how my daughters don't even really understand. They're innocent. I mean, my 16-year-old is still innocent, and that's so beautiful that she doesn't have to struggle with the things I struggle with. Still a work in progress. Wait. We're all going to be works in progress until the day we die. But until you understand what grace is and you can give yourself grace, you're not going to really truly recover. And it was when I began to understand what freedom was. And then God came in and did the rest. I'm so grateful of what God has done for me. This is and I can assure I'm sad. Wait, 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 wait. Did you niggas, did y'all just hear this niggas pause when he talked about his daughter? Did y'all catch that? Yeah. This nigga was like, and my daughter just doesn't understand. Doesn't understand. Also, it also, it felt like that nigga was about to say what she's living with. Yeah. (laughs) The monster. What I've been struggling with. Once again, that's why we're gonna be like, wait a minute, nigga, we we here for the we here for the, the porn. What you here for? <laughs> okay. I really don't understand what the daughters have to do with this, bro. I don't understand. I, don't, I, would I don't know. Why they here? Why we here, Dad? <laughs> According to Google, both uh covenant uh eyes and accountable to you violate this policy as such deems as some some deem such service to be spyware, I'm sure it's in the user agreement that you neglected to read when you clicked OK. It I wouldn't shame shameware shameware basically. I wouldn't quite call it spyware. <laughs> what? I wouldn't quite call it. Is it is or it isn't? I wouldn't quite call it spyware. Says former member Grace of, of Grace Point, who was asked to use covenant eyes and spoke on the condition of anonymity due to uh, privacy concerns. It's much more like shameware, as your brother Joe just said. It's and it's just another another way the church controls you. Meanwhile, critics are not uh, sold on the app's claims to have helped many people overcome addiction to pornography. You know, they should have got Kirk Franklin. Oh. <laughs> he said he had that addiction, dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they did to the porn. Oh, shit. All right. Whew. That was good. Don't, hey, y'all, don't install that on y'all shit. Don't do that. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving, moving right on to very important topics. Uh, the, uh, we, we talked about pregame. It was an article that came out that talked about the greatest black people ranked. 
despite opinion, despite America's history of racism, there are some black people who will always be beloved and respected by the American public. And uh, this is more j- a joke, so I think people, I don't want people to take this too seriously. <laughs> uh, America doesn't hate all black people. Not every black person can become a business uh, mogul like the uh, federal agent, uh, Dr. Herschel Walker. Wow. It's a Dr. Herschel Walker. Dr. Herschel Walker. When I skimmed this shit, I missed that. Nor do they. This person is class, though, bro. He did. He did. He did say he's first in class. Nor do they possess the uh, the temerity to karate chop chicken restaurant robbers and stab bullies in the belt buckle like Ben Carson. But in spite of what your sixth grade teacher might uh, say during the critical race theory social studies lesson, there's a path for a black person to become an admired and respected member of society. And if you examine the people who are heralded as great African-Americans, a pattern begins to emerge. So what say you? What, 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 what things make a Negro that will that build you to become one of the most beloved Negroes of all time? We'll start with number five. I don't know if we a monolith. There might be uh, five different ones or so. Five different ones. The overcomers, common attributes, grew up as disadvantaged youth in the inner city, quote, unquote, usually the product of a broken home, overcame insurmountable odds, and they give back to the community. White people love downtrodden Negroes. That sounds like Herschel Walker. That sound like Herschel Walker. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is crazy. Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Notable overcomers. Tim Scott's grandfather. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Child in a movie who can learn to play chess. That is true. <laughs> that is true. That is true. After I like this sincere though. After all, if a six foot seven inch teenager with a forty three inch vertical leap can earn a college scholarship, what's holding you back? <laughs> <laughs> Majority black school districts might be underfunded, but Clarence Thomas grew up in the sharecropper shack and became a Supreme Court justice. So why can't you? Sure, he got educated at a private. Herschel Walker. And then you got that 20-inch neck. Yeah. Slave neck. Question. question. Yes, sir. So, you know, we got to have a real-life Uncle Ruckus. Is it Herschel Walker or is it Clarence? That's Clarence. Mm. Clarence? I don't know. Herschel. <laughs> Herschel. Was it Herschel Stink Meaner then? Herschel Stink Meaner. Oh, he's Stink Meaner. He, he ain't. His, yeah, Clarence Thomas. Yeah, he the real. Is that nigga the real Uncle Ruckus? He mm. might be the real. Yeah, Uncle Tom's cabin ass nigga. Yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he is the he is the fucking blueprint. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> I can't I can't think of a Boondocks character for Herschel. 
But that nigga's a character. Yeah. So the he's trans- an overcomer. The transcenders. Mm. Number four. Common attributes. They just happen to be black, quote unquote. <laughs> Make white people, quote unquote, colorblind, able to transcend their race. It's just translucent. Translucent. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Like overcomers, the people known as transcenders also had to battle systemic racism to achieve greatness. But because they reached the level of excellence that white people can't even imagine, America has found a way to accept them into the fold, either by pretending to be so they don't see color or suggesting that black person's accomplishments make them transcend race. Got Chris Myers. Quote from Chris Myers, when you saw Ali, you didn't see color. You didn't see religion. You saw a gentle man who was a strong fighter, a champion you could believe in. He must have not watched that movie at all. Nigga. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't know. He must have watched Green Book or something. I don't know what that nigga was watching. <laughs> that nigga was not in the moment. He was not engaged. <laughs> he was not engaged. You know. He was recalling on his books he read in school. <laughs> was not paying attention. Mm. Gave up three of the best years of his life over racism. Yes, yes. All right, Until they come out the closet as black. If you notice, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, and John F. Kidney didn't have to transcend their whiteness. They just stole from niggas. I, I said that part. Uh, notable transcenders, Barack Obama, Oprah Winfrey, black artists who, whose work can be appropriated by white artists. That's pretty good. It says, hold on, only black people can e- eclipse their history yes. culture, and the physics of light refraction. Yes. <laughs> All true. <laughs> You can't transcend if you white. Can't see you, nigga. Oh, my favorite, the good ones. Common attributes, a credit to their race, are usually very articulate, don't need to make everything about race, possess the ability to make white people feel comfortable. That is Ben Carson. Ah. <laughs> it's Ben Carson, bro. Yes. Who, my, who the homie that died? Uh, Mr. 999. Oh. Herman Cain. Herman Cain, dog. Cain, dog. Yeah. Herman Cain. <laughs> the 999 999 himself. Call old boy uh, <clears throat> uh, Supercuts. Super, oh, oh, uh, uh. Daniel Cameron. Yes. Cameron. Yes. Cameron. Put that nigga in the box, too. <laughs> He's one of the good ones. He might be. He's Cor- he, Cory Booker in that box? No. No, no. I mean,. <laughs> he does make he do make white people feel comfortable though. He he might transcend. Yeah. He do make white people feel comfortable. But his South Carolina colleague. Oh, uh Tim Scott? Tim Scott. Yeah. That nigga. Yeah. That's one. <laughs> that nigga's teeth make me feel like he that's ooh. Did they say something about his grandfather? No, he was over. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he overcomer or transcended. Uh, he was a his grandfather was an overcomer. overcomer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he's one of the good ones. He's one of the good yeah, ones. He's a good one. <laughs> let's see. Let's see who we got. This is, oh, Damn. the good ones: Booker T. Washington, Carlos Watson, Condoleezza Rice, 
black children adopted by white families, enslaved people who didn't escape. Damn. Wow. Damn. Enslaved wow. people who didn't escape. Damn. Slavery's a choice. Yeah, oh, that, yeah. that did happen. That did happen. Right. That, that was said. Oh, hold up. There it is. Candace Owens, Herschel Walker, Jason Whitlock. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They hit yeah. the trifecta yeah. with that, bro. <laughs> Fat lot. Wow. Uh, number two, Americans. 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 Common attributes. Sacrificed themselves for something that benefited white people. Fought white supremacy without making white people mad. I don't know how you do that. Uh, uh, teared up in front of white people. Did something that white people did something that white people stole. Oh yeah. Okay. I get you saying now. All right. Uh, the cotton gin. Yes. Yes, sir. Or the flash, or the uh, the stoplight. Who we got here? Oh, what? Rosa Parks, the Tuskegee Airmen, Colin Powell, any black person who thinks the Star Spangled Banner slaps. I don't. I don't uh, what? <laughs> I don't know any niggas that think that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in the army uh, for twenty Jimmy, years. Jimmy Bur- the Jimmy Virgin slaps. Yeah, the Jimmy version. I was gonna say the Whitney version. Oh, uh, the uh, Marvin Gaye. Oh yeah, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, I might go back. I had to go back and check that one out. That's pretty yeah, good. That's a good one. Yeah, that uh, and then of course the late greats, comic yeah, characters. Their past has been whitewashed. They were despised by white people. They are dead. Damn. Frederick Douglass, black. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh. Jesus? <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they <laughs> they going to be mad just at that. <sighs> oh, there, there it is. There's Dr. King. I see him. Yep. Where's Malcolm? Oh, no. He, Malcolm didn't make that list, bro. <laughs> they still hate Malcolm, bro. <laughs> Nigga, I, I put a, I put a, uh, when, um, when Bill Russell died. Yeah, yeah. I changed my, uh, Facebook avatar temporarily to be the, uh, the summit they had. Yeah. And um I think in the picture was Muhammad Ali. And so this white dude that, you know, I know from, you know, way back in high school hit me up and like, dude, you identify with the nation of Islam? Like how how, how you getting down with reverse racism? <laughs> Ooh. Nigga, I had to read his ass for about half an hour, bro. <laughs> I was like, stay, stay the fuck off my shit if you don't like it, man. I don't know. But Reverse racism. They don't fuck with my Huh? I said, especially if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Hell yeah. Like, he advocated violence. No, the fuck he didn't. So did the police and the Klan. 
Right. Shit. But he didn't. He was on protection. Protection. Protect yourself. Protection. Yeah. Protection of this community. It's your fault. Yeah. I, I, ain't, I ain't starting shit, but I'm going to finish it. Yeah. Right. You're talking about exactly. Muhammad Ali, right? Yeah, all Muhammad Ali. Oh, Max, all that, yeah. I mean, Muhammad, but you said Muhammad Ali was in the picture uh, of the subject. He, he, was speak, he was speaking specifically on uh, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. But I mean, Nation of Islam, Malcolm X, I'm pretty right, sure. Right, right. But I'm saying Muhammad Ali specifically, if I remember correctly, and you just mentioned it, uh, the man missed three of his three years of uh, uh, three of the best years of his life uh, to not go to war. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, a you know what I'm saying? So how are you going to talk about them promoting violence? Yeah. That don't make no sense. He was a pacifist who could pacifist. Who? All right. Bars. 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 What is higher? <laughs> My bad. <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, that's just, no, nah, like, you bring up a good point, though. Like, whenever you bring up Malcolm, like, people don't really don't want to delve into, like, the depth of them. The same way that they don't they don't want to delve into the, they don't want to dig into the, how deep that uh, uh, Martin was either. They just want to oh he he said hey one day everybody have a dream. So the fuck was trying to tell me what Martin Luther King said. I was like get the fuck out of my face, bro. They favorite they read the, the Birmingham letter uh, from the letter from the Birmingham jail. Get the fuck out of my face, bro. <laughs> they love they love it. They love it. They love it. I was like, you motherfuckers killed the fuck out of Martin Luther King, bro. Don't tell me what the fuck y'all was on. Like, no. Try Jesus. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. So, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty funny. Also pretty sad. You should have told dude to listen to the show. Uh Mm, Nah. He would probably fucking pop an artery. You'd know. be mad. Yeah, exactly. He, he's, he's a liberal, and that's why I was telling him uh, he needed to read the letter from the Birmingham jail mm-hmm. because right. in that letter they talked about liberals. They talked about you know motherfuckers because the quiet. It's, it, it, they it, they they don't want to rock the boat. It's never gonna be the right time. It's never gonna be the right tactic. You know what I'm saying? Oh oh, this is fucked up. But maybe we shouldn't do that. That's a little extreme. You know. Fuck out of here, man. You know what I'm saying? Meanwhile, so. meanwhile motherfuckers getting drugged down by motherfucking German shepherds and sprayed with water hoses. Mm-hmm. But they but they want nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Let me get the fuck out of my face, bro. I said, maybe you'll get the fuck out. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we said we ain't talking about her. Anyway. You know what? Water break. All right, today we're going to talk about how we can find out and how much we can find out and what it takes to get there. So first we have to decide how much do we want to find out. So let's say in this case, I want to find out at a level of seven. Okay, so I find that level on my graph and I come horizontally to my gradient line. Where it intersects with my gradient line, I'm going to come straight down to where it intersects with my fuck around line. That there is going to tell me how much I have to fuck around to find out what I need to find out. See, as you can see, the more you fuck around, the more you're going to find out. (laughs) 
And also, if you stay down here and you never fuck around, you'll never find out. I hope this lesson is helpful. Thank you. Bye. Hey, man, that's knowledge. Well said. <laughs> well said. <laughs> if you stay here around zero, <laughs> you ain't going to fuck around and <laughs> you're not going to find out. You're not going to find out. You on the, you on the Y axis? All asking all these Y questions and about to find out. <laughs> you about to fuck around? You about to? You gonna right. fuck around on the X axis and get X'd out, nigga? <laughs> now, now we we do. Hold on, shit. We do have a video. We do have a video of a, a woman who fucked around and found out. You know what? If you walk up to me, I'll push the shit out to you. Go ahead. What are you doing? You're parking in a handicap oh, shut spot. Up. I'm just delivering packages. No, no, you are parked. Uh, bro, in a, move! I don't have to. You're on my property bro, now. Bro, you don't get the fuck out the way. I'll knock you the fuck out, bro. Who the fuck wrong with you? This is how you do it. Uh, uh, oh, my bad. I thought this was the one because they have this same video, but they just have like. A, it, it, it has several different ones on this. Oh, does it? Yeah, oh, yeah, there yeah. we go. There we go. How we can find out and how much we can find out and what it takes to get there. So first we have to decide how much. We heard him. She fuck around. And she found out that she, day. She fivefold the day. She fucked around. She fucked around the day. Uh, say she fucked around on that uh that that Y axis too much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> got aged out. She got too much gradient. <laughs> Bitch, your radius was too wide. Hey, they, they didn't have to put the sonic rings on it. So. Yeah, the side of greens is perfect, nigga. It's always good. Back oh. three rings at you, bitch. <laughs> oh shit. Hey, uh, well, oh, hold on. You said you want. Oh, we we skipped over uh sports. You said you want to talk about the uh the uh, Aaron Judge shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Let's get into it. We pull up our get it. Let's get it. So did you did you see the uh the fucking little meme I put up? Yeah, yeah. And I yeah, I've been on that. I you know I'm not a baseball fan, but there's are there are podcasts I listen to that talk about it and like put it's, it in context. It's black history one. Yeah. You talking about Barry Bonds? Well, is yeah. is black history because of Barry Bonds, but Aaron Judge is also black history. Yeah, he is biracial, yes, yes, yes. You know what I'm saying? Which, so, which, I, which I didn't know until like a week ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Aaron Judge, you know, so every year, man, I do like a, and it's getting harder to do every year, but like an all-nigga team. Yeah, like a baseball. If I take the best niggas off of every team oh, and put them on one squad, what would this shit look like? So he's, he's using my right fielder. 
Oh, wait a minute, dog. Nah, wait. How long you been doing this? Oh, every nigga. I wasn't. I wasn't ready. I had like a little whiskey in my throat. I want to just get into this. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about this one. Nigga, for years, Derek Jeter was a shortstop, bro. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's usually pretty easy to come up with outfielders. Uh, you could probably get a first baseman here and there. Um. You know, like somebody like Brandon Phillips was the second baseman for a long time, or J. Roll might have played shortstop for a while. Who's yeah. a catcher? It's hard to find a catcher, bro. Yeah. It's hard to find a catcher. So every once in a while, like it might be, you, you might have to steal one from like so Nicaragua or something. Yeah, yeah, you, you want to DR niggas? Next, yeah, you have to get an hermano. You know, so <laughs> yeah. you can't have your brother. You get an hermano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it fit, it fit in a, in a pitch, you know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, shit. Salvador Perez. I mean, he he black. He just he just we'll uh, take him. We'll take him. He just been his You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but and, and I usually try to do it with all Americans. You know what I'm saying? It's hard. To, it's hard to do that. But, but I try to get like a little rotation. Try to get a little bullpen. But uh, it's getting harder and harder every year now. I don't pay as close attention for one, and they not hiring as many niggas. <laughs> no. But Aaron Judge is, and I, and I told, I was, I was talking to uh, the elder brother of Doom about this a couple weeks ago, and I was like, watch. As soon as this nigga get close to uh, Roger Maris number, they gonna be talking that shit like this. The real record. Right. And all home yep. runs, Barry Bonds, it didn't mean shit. Right. Yep. It's coming to fruition, you know. Yes, I heard uh, yesterday I was watching PTI, and uh, I was, and I, I actually already knew that this he was his opinion, but uh, Michael Will <laughs> opinion, but uh, Michael Will Bond, black co-host. He doesn't recognize Barry Bonds. Uh, uh, I get, I'm hearing that. Yeah, we are too. Yeah. Hello. 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 All right. Yo, yo. All right. Whatever happened, it stop. Go ahead. Go ahead, Zip. Okay. Cool. But yeah, he was talking about he doesn't. How Ooh, he Mike Will. Michael Wilbon. Yeah, Michael Wilbon was saying that, mm-hmm. and uh, it disappoints me, man. That, that's disappointing. Hey, did you um did you see that meme or that little stat? I don't know how real it was that they put b- about you know feared hitters between him and Barry Bonds. Nigga, Barry Bonds, it, dude. I was a huge Barry Bonds fan before he was even a giant. You know what I'm saying? He'd already won. Yeah. Like, before he was even questioned, he won three MVPs right. back in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. He won two in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And then he won five with the Giants. You know, since I was a huge, I was a huge Barry Bonds fan. Man. I used to, I used to argue niggas back in the day, like back in gym class, who was better, him or uh, King Griffey? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, um, King Griffey had more fair. Yeah, what? More fanfare, more more popularity at the time. Well, no, he no Griffey was like that too, man. He was a kid. You know, no, what I'm he, he was, was like that, but I'm just saying boy, of the man. two at the time. No, he was like that, no doubt. But like, yeah, when when we were uh, in school, you know, school age, like 93, 94, you know what I'm saying, there, um, 
Yeah, no, definitely Ken Griffey was more popular than, than Barry, but I mean, well, he was more personable too. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. Barry was very surly with the media, but I kind of like that shit. You know what I'm saying? That's right. I used to like how you talk shit. Yeah. But you know, Ken Griffey was a kid, man. You know, he uh, his first few games were playing with his dad. You know, and so uh, you know, he he had a lot of injuries and he didn't quite get to the peak that you know we want him to, but he still. You know, six hundred some odd home runs himself. You know what I'm saying? He's still a man amongst men. Oh and, no, you know what I'm saying? Ain't even a question. But Barry, dude, from 2001 to like 2004, five somewhere in there, motherfuckers would shit down their pants if they saw Barry in the lineup, bro. <laughs> like, they wouldn't pitch to him at all. Wouldn't Nigga, that was the stat. The stat was. The stat, bro, the stat was that Barry's, Barry Bonds in a two-week period was walked 17 times and this nigga Aaron Judge it took like four or five months to get there. Right. Exactly. He walked 17 times. Yeah. And they've been it talking like 11, about that. I think it was 11 days. Was yeah, like, yeah, like 11 days. That <laughs> nigga was walked 17 times. Crazy. I think it was intentional walk, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, intentional. It wasn't, it wasn't on it purpose. Walk seventeen times. He was intentionally walked. Like, like, I'm not throwing to you. A lot of Aaron Judge's walks have. They weren't intentional walks. They just didn't pitch over the plate. They didn't throw strikes. Yeah, his intentional <laughs> walk no, count was like hard. four months. It was like four or five months for intentional walk. It's not, but it's not just the intentionals for Barry. No, Barry had the best eye. If if Barry didn't swing, uh, that shit wouldn't strike. Yep, uh, that's facts. That's that's hand eye coordination was stupid. Like he would look just back, like it, he hit home runs. He hit for average too. Yeah, I'm saying if yeah. if they if they he had a he had a great eye. If they called a strike and he didn't swing, he would look back and be like, "Motherfucker, you! I didn't swing on that shit. That's not a strike, bro." <laughs> I don't know, it, it, dude. They they used to piss down their legs, and there's there's nobody in the history of the game who's been as feared as Barry Bonds. And he was going up against some boys on the pitching mound, on the mound. Yeah. He wasn't going up against chumps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and 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 that's the argument. You know, saying yeah, okay, Barry Bonds, you say he did it. Okay, fine. Um, don't act like the motherfuckers on the mound wasn't juicing also. Right. Right. And my thing is this, though, man, like, according to my understanding, and I could be wrong, he, I don't, did he ever, like, really test positive or anything for steroids? So, I feel like that there's a lack of proof. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but I don't see no, I've never seen any direct evidence, and I'm not saying that he never, that he didn't take steroids. I, you know, I, I don't know. I have suspicions. He admitted what? to a cream. He admitted what? To a cream. Yeah, that, I remember that. Uh, cream, right? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. From Falco, I think that he they, he he got rubbed with a cream, and he allegedly didn't know what was in it. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Uh, I'm with you, bro. Regardless of what they say, you know, speculation. When you watch this nigga put the bat on the ball. I've not seen nobody do that shit smoother, better, or more fluid than Barry Bonds. King Griffey had a sweet swing. 
But yeah, he did. But I'm just talking about from a connection standpoint, just seeing nah. the ball. Like, nah, that that nigga that nigga swing was so violent, bro. Different. It was so it was so compact and violent. It was just quick as shit. Quick, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, man. He returned on that bitch. So, I, Roger falling asleep. I ain't falling asleep. No, I'm thinking. I'm, what y'all saying? <laughs> I'm not falling asleep at all. Get out of here, Zeb. Anyway, so, no, no. So what I'm saying I, is, go ahead. Is, is you know the niggas want to shit on the black man, and that's fine, okay. But Aaron Judge is a black man too, and he does already have a share of another record. He's tied with Roger Maris, who a lot of people say has the real record because you know the ones who passed him are. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and then Barry Bonds. But Sammy Sosa white now. What's up? I'm joking. Go ahead. I feel that. But I mean, I'm not even talking about the color though. I'm saying uh, those are the ones who 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 passed Maris. He had 61 and 61 as a Yankee, and um, you know he kind of faded from the scene after that because he got fucked with because he passed up uh, uh, Babe Ruth 60. You know what I'm saying? So everybody, how you gonna how you gonna pass up the bay? Fuck you. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I think he has 61 and really kind of fade the fuck out of baseball. He got a Kansas City connection, by the way. He played uh, in the minor leagues in my backyard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he did for the Blues. Anyway, but the point I'm making is that Roger Maris still has the American League record. And so Aaron Judge, a black man, now has a share of that record, which is also the Yankee record. And uh, he get one more, he'll have the American League record to himself. So, black man representing. Black man. No, all I was thinking of, uh, people think, the. I mean, yes, the Roys do make you stronger, blah, 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 and it's still whoever did what. It don't give you that. It doesn't give you that pure hand-eye coordination that's needed for that sport. Because I'm here, and I went to Washburn. They had, I mean, they had, we had like three or four white boys that was juicing, and they was all third, fourth string. Niggas couldn't tackle a fucking elephant <laughs> coming on an ISO. They had no athletic ability. They was just strong as shit. I don't know if he would have gotten 750 some odd home runs. I don't know if he'd have gotten that. I, 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 yeah. Guarantee he would have got 500. Oh, fuck it. I think a lot of it, too, man, is that, you know, the steroids, uh, it helps you recover faster from injury. That, too. So he might have he missed more. You know, like how Ken Griffey missed a lot of time because he was injured a lot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, whereas Barry Bonds didn't really have those. Know those type of major injuries and missed a lot of time, so he had more opportunity. He missed a game, I mean, like a season towards the end. And you know, as old as he got to be at the end, you know, maybe that's who you expected. Um, and then I know that nigga still hit like 27 or something stupid home runs in his last year, and then he got blackballed. You know what I'm saying? His contract ran over the Giants, they weren't gonna renew him. And nobody else in baseball was going to sign him. Well, right. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm the wrong. I should be asking this question because I don't know. But one day, the, the whole era of like the juicing the ball too, they did something different with the, the baseball or some shit. 
Yeah, they've done all kinds of things. They, yeah. So I'm like, they changed the height of the mound. Yeah. Uh, when Bob Gibson was on the mound killing motherfuckers. Bob Gibson. Yeah. Bob Gibson was killing motherfuckers in in, in '69. Yeah. They decided, nah, they the we can't have this black man murdering motherfuckers on the mound. We're gonna have to lower the mound. <laughs> lower the mound, yeah. Real and tough. then um they 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 play with how tightly they wind the ball. Like there was about three or four years ago, home runs was flying out at a record pace, bro. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like stupid. And so they obviously juiced the ball. You know what I'm saying? Uh you go back to the fucking days of like George Breton and yeah, nigga, they was taking they had coffee pots in the locker room that said let it and unlet it, where they were giving them greenies. Oh yeah, I remember that shit too. Uh amphetamines, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, shit and so you know, also also too, man, with the ballparks, because that new Yankee Stadium, yeah. you know what I'm saying? This, they've been saying that it's a home run stadium. It's a home run hit stadium, you know what I mean? So No, yeah, uh Barry was knocking them motherfuckers out of uh what the fuck is that? that, that camel, it was camel, it was uh was, yeah. McCovey, I know you in the McCovey Cove, wherever the fuck the name of the stadium is, that, that motherfucker is not a little... That was Candlestick, wasn't it, bro? No, Candlestick's the old... It was after Candlestick. It's the way it's the one they got now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But nah, that, that motherfucker is not a small stadium, and he was letting that bitch go. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. Yeah, yeah. When it came to baseball, I thought all that shit was just so weird where... But, you know, and that's the only reason why I really kept track then, because y'all know me. If it's making white people mad, I'm paying attention. <laughs> Even as a young a young stork, I was like, oh, white people mad? Let's read up about this. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, hold on. Go back to that. Go back to that fucking list of black people. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> Which one? Where's Barry Bonds on this list and where's Aaron Judge? Barry, Barry ain't on this motherfucker. Barry ain't on the list. He, he, well, he, he eventually might become a late great. He, oh, you know who's a late great? He might. No, you know who's a late great is uh, Hank Aaron. Oh, no doubt, yeah, true. Because they hated he his right. ass when he was He lying, is bro. a late great, dog. Oh, you are fucking right. Hank Aaron's a late great. <laughs> Go on. What else we got? What else we got? Let me see. What other list we got? We got Americans. Uh, Americans? No, that ain't Barry. Or Judge, probably. This, dog, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Three. This, good one. One of the good ones. Aaron might. Aaron Judge might be a good one one day. No, nah, he's one of the... He, it's like two or one. One or two. What was go to? Two is... Oh, my bad. Uh, two is... Oh, we're going the wrong way. Trans- my bad. Shit. Wrong way. American. Nah, no, my bad. I'm sorry. The first. Oh, the, oh, oh, you mean five and four? My bad. My bad, pimp. I don't think he's. I old. think he might be transcender, maybe. Yeah. What was a transcender? He just happens to be black. He makes white people colorblind. Yeah, he might be a transcender, bro. Because <laughs> most people don't even when they look at Aaron Judge, don't even. I don't think they even think they so. even know he's black. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tiger Woods before he started fucking uh, Waffle House waitresses. Nigga, they knew he was black. They like, man, hey, we ain't got no chicken on the tour. <laughs> I know, but hey, hey, 
But they loved him. They loved hey. The other golfers may not like that nigga because he's the motherfucker was whacking that ball one thousand motherfucking yards off the tee. They loved him. They loved him more when his wife hit him with that damn golf club. But it, yeah. they, they they probably loved him more. They saw them motherfucking ticket sales too. Yeah. What well, niggas around creating the race, capitalizing yeah. every caught that shit. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that's why he was trying to make him. He's colorblind. And he transcended his own race. That's what I'm saying. That nigga transcended the whole race, nigga. That nigga. Amdalasian. That's what I'm saying. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He might be. Uh, he might be the Jeff Bezos of race, nigga. He he, he out here. Nigga. <laughs> <laughs> that this nigga, the, the Tesla race, nigga, that nigga ain't nothing we ain't ever seen before. We <laughs> got all kind of energy to it, bro. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, shit. Hey, okay. man, shout out to Aaron Judge for being transcendent, bro. Yeah, tra- shout out to him. Shout out to him. And then, uh, sh- oh, damn it. Shout out to the real man. Time is money. He said in, in, instead of him spending time to get what he wants, He'd rather pay for it. Uh, well, he sound like a trick. Yeah, yeah, nigga, ain't nothing like a hunt. Yeah, all real men want to hunt, homie. Don't no real man want to feel like a trick. Nigga feel low in the mouth. Say, don't no nigga want to feel like no trick. Nigga, please, no, man. Nigga want to be able to go somewhere and make eye contact with a woman like the old days. You know, like two animals. Yeah, make eye contact. You go smell her butt, she smell your butt. The scent, you know, the man and the woman scent that they give off. You know how the dogs do. And then when you try to straddle up on her, she move and bite it. You know, make you get off of her. That kind of thing. And then y'all rouse and bite at each other's ears a little bit. But yeah, yeah, that kind of, the old, old days. No, man, I'm with the hunting, homie. You get up and you dress up pretty and you go somewhere and you don't know no woman. And you go try to get your phone number and you try to have your one night stand. That don't, you know, but you got to have campaign money, campaign phone. You buy a woman a drink. She might got two buddies. That's with what it's called, campaign money. Yeah, campaign phones. Campaign. Yeah, trying to get elected and selected. So you, you, this nigga then turn getting pussy into Call of Duty. You gotta have them campaign funds. <laughs> <laughs> he might got two buddies with her. You got to buy her and her two buddies a drink to talk to her if you want to really get her attention. No, all that coming up talking about how much for it. That, that's why all the women treat the boys like tricks and perverts now. That's the pervert line. How much you want for it? That's he, he doing that out of desperation. He don't know how to sit and wait and try to get it and be consistent, picking at it, or uh, uh, trying to charm her out of it. He want it right now. Be be aware of them kind of niggas. They might take it. Yeah, watch them niggas just talking about I pay for it. How much it cost? I give you anything. No, nigga, get on. No, for real, man. Time is money. They might try to take it. You might you might be right, AC. I'm telling you, man, that nigga, that nigga will, that nigga will entertain you and take you all the way around the world to bring you back to a point where you'd be like, man, that nigga, that nigga, that nigga right. And <laughs> if you, if you ain't recognize his voice, uh, that is the, uh, Brothers Breaking Bread, world famous Sip and Fall nigga, uh, always dropping some knowledge. Whether What's his name again, Zeb? Uh, Charleston White. 
Oh, it's right there. Charleston White. My bad. I thought that was some other shit. Yeah, hashtag Charleston White. That's his real name. But I like to, yeah, I love him, Sip Fall niggas. He, he teach you how to get paid. He teach you how to watch out for perverts. He own it. Nigga told us about the chip. The chip? You got you told about the chip? He own it. <laughs> Joe like shaking his head like, fuck this nigga. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, I, I, I recognize all the logic he put up in that motherfucker, man. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, nah, he ain't. I, I told uh, AC, I ain't hear no, not one lie. Not one lie. Not, not one. one lie. No. Mm-hmm. I ain't paying for shit like that. And, uh, and wait a minute, and come back full circle. <laughs> this nigga might pay for it. This nigga that he was talking about. Up next. We all out here in this world, and we all got to make it happen, and ain't nothing stopping me. So, like, I'm very hopeful and confident. After this interview, Ashif sent a picture of his penis to our producer. <laughs> So what what that was was the clip Vice TV uh they had uh a, some uh the thing is a sympathy piece. So it's probably a piece about fucking trying to reintegrate sex offenders with they don't they don't specify the level but they are sex offenders in our society. And so it was a clip of his brother as you just heard Six seconds where he's like, I'm hopeful, I'm grateful, all this shit. And, and they like, as soon as this nigga left, left the interview, he sent a dick pic to the producer. <laughs> that nigga need one of them uh, shameware apps, nigga. He need, <laughs> he need all the apps. Matter of fact, matter of fact, that nigga need a flip phone and not the new Samsung joint. He need an old school flip phone with no camera because technology's gonna be deaf for this nigga. This, this nigga <laughs> left a interview for a show talking about rehabbing sex offenders and sent the producer a dick pic before he got on the fucking train to go home. Oh. Man, baby steps. Bro, this baby means, steps. That means, baby steps, bro. bro. That means this nigga walked in the room, looked at her, and said, "Bitch, you getting a pic? You getting a dick pic? You?" <laughs> hey, man, he might have fought at the whole fucking show. He might have been like the whole interview, like, eh, "I'm gonna go give her a dick pic." Nah, I can't give her a dick pic. <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute, nigga, you said baby steps. Hold up, hold up, you said baby steps. He was like sitting there talking about, oh, I'm going to show him a dick, I'm going to show him a dick, I'm going to show him a dick. You know what, you know what, you know what, I'm reformed, I'm reformed, I'm a man of God, I'm going to send her a picture. Hey, man, this shit remind me of both finger, bro. <laughs> but hold on, one second though. Man, go see if you can find that clip, bro. Hey, dog. But one second though, one I second. I stand here before you today. <laughs> the Lakers girls cheerleading squad needs to be taken down a peg or two. But hold on though, I shame. If this nigga ain't from Kansas City, I shame him. 
I shame him for wearing a motherfucking Kansas City Royals hat, which is obviously a fucking New York subway or some kind of East Coast subway. I shame you, sir. I shame you. Hey, nigga, that hat is fresh to death, though. It is fresh, but nigga, you can't be a fucking sex offender sending dicks to people. <laughs> it was... With my city's hat on, nigga. Representing our small town values. Small, small town. <laughs> hold up, though. Hold up. Hold up. We are the show me steak. I'm out. We are the show title, bro. <laughs> show me steak. <laughs> Sense. <laughs> you know what? I take back what I said. Wear the hat, my nigga. Wear the hat. Hey, fuck around. You gonna find that. that nigga might be over there partying with Andy Reid and them at the Chiefs stadium, bro. Getting drunk. Percocets. Molly Percocets. Percocets. Molly Percocets. <laughs> You niggas is wild, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Where the girls at on the show, man? <laughs> Kim and Lady Lavender, y'all hear this? This is y'all fault. This is y'all fault. Come rescue us. Y'all left us alone to our own devices. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh, shit. Uh, you know what? We got one more tab. <sighs> Do is lay in our own filth. That's it. That's all we're going to do. Lay in our own filth and watch football. What, what else? What else is there? You, you put the fucking spy, work, the shameware on our phones. We can't even masturbate. We must watch the football and lay in our filth. All right. Okay. Okay. Whew. Okay. Hold on. This is bad. We should probably just go to bed. I don't know if we should finish the show with this. Nigga, we are here. We are here. <laughs> it's like when you're at the top of a roller coaster. Nigga, fuck it. Oh, shit. I blame Kim and Anna uh, for this because we can't organize. But <laughs> Oh. This shit should have been somewhere in the front of the show, bro. <laughs> it should have been. But here we go. <laughs> okay. I'm going to try to read this article. With a, I'm going <laughs> to try to read the headline. Whew. Oh, my head is hurting. Okay. Okay. I'm back. Okay. Okay. Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma woman admits strangling female housemate to death during fight about food stamps and tried to burn the body on two different days. Look <laughs> at that whole fucking headline, bro. Hold on, go back to the headline. There's so much in there, bro. Nah, do these motherfuckers not believe in commas or lowercase letters? <laughs> Nigga, that headline is so aggressive, bro. We're aggressive. It should have been in all caps. <laughs> Oklahoma woman admits to strangling female housemate to death 
during a fight about food stamps. <sighs> oh, and it burns uh, about two different days. Thinking one wasn't enough. Okay. Okay. Barbecue okay. dead bitch, bro. <laughs> a 30-year-old woman has admitted to strangling the female victim to death during an argument with food stamps and then twice tried to set the victim's body on fire in an effort to cover up the crime. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Oklahoma announced on Friday. Federal prosecutors says Jessica LaVon uh, McBride of Tulsa pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter in an attempt to commit arson. That's all bad. The victim, Tracy Russell, had previously allowed the defendant and her boyfriend to stay with her in exchange for assistance with groceries. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I guess it's, yeah, you got to eat. I got a house, you got food, okay? I guess it makes sense. The Department of Justice wrote in press release. However, the victim later requested the defendant and her boyfriend leave the residence, the DOG said. In a plea agreement, McBride admitted she left, but then she came back. <laughs> the document contains the the formal confession signed by the defendant. The defendant, my bad. Um, yeah, she she stole my food stamps. Then I took a blanket, covered Tracy Elliot uh, Russell with it, lit it on fire. I set the fire attendant to burn Tracy Elliot Russell's body in her re- in her residence located on North uh, jo- uh, Johnstown Avenue. Took my home to destroy evidence. However, the fire did not burn the residence down. That's so sad. She left the premises, however. She admitted she returned three days later to try to finish the job. Wow. So she tried to burn a blanket. Yeah. And then that didn't work, so she came back with lighter fluid. Yeah. God damn. She still couldn't figure out how to burn the house down? Why did she just take the Why did she just take the body and go bury it somewhere? She probably couldn't pick her up and move her and shit without some help. Or her boyfriend? And she might not have told him. Man, I the way this is reading in this whole story, I am sure her boyfriend was right there doing a line of cocaine when she got killed. <laughs> <laughs> Like meth. So like, that, I feel like that, that just fucked up the whole show. You gotta, you gotta make a deal. <laughs> what happened? The Indian heritage? Food stamps. You on meth, not cocaine. Then we just out here burning Native American women. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. How about that? <laughs> you started laughing, nigga. Say something wild, but I don't want to say it, bro. Say it. <laughs> say it. Say it. Say it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Say it. Indian burn. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he brought back a bottle of fire water to burn. <laughs> okay, I'm going to bed. <laughs> the whole show, bro. We should have had this shit earlier. Uh, why, are we oh why are we laughing still, though? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, it's time to go to bed. 
Right. Get food stamps, bro. <laughs> Nigga, she came back for the food stamps. <laughs> it's bad. Ugh. I bought some camp fuel. Uh, I'm trying to see if her boyfriend was anywhere in this. <sighs> I was thinking if they had if they had reason to believe that he knew about it, they would arrest his ass. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is true too. Yeah, it probably should have been earlier in the show, but that's fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Because okay. we we saw that high, and we look at this story like I just won't laugh, but this is not funny. It is kind. Of, uh. <laughs> the headline's funny as fuck. It is funny. It, that is funny, but this is this is sad. This is a tragic ass story. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's, it's horrible. You sound like you sound like uh, Seinfeld for a second. That's pretty good. Uh, oh man, that's that's a you know what that is a crazy ass st- statement. Jessica McBride stayed in the home of the victim in return. She took her life because of missing food stamps. That is crazy. You going to jail for food stamps? Food stamps. Food stamps. The fuck is this crazy dog? I'm telling you, man. <sighs> uh, it's sickness, dog. Thanos is right. Send the asteroid. Please. Oh, speaking of which. Oh, Florida? No, NASA. Oh, yeah, they did. They, oh, man, I deleted. Oh, shit. I had it up. I think NASA, uh, NASA sent like a oh, 33 yeah. million, 3,300 yeah. million Fifty million or something, wasn't it? Yeah, something's a lot of money. Projectile to blow up an asteroid at fifteen hundred miles an hour, so fifteen thousand miles an hour, or something like that. See what they do? What happened? Yeah, see what happened. And and so motherfuckers are are certain there's one on the way, and they ain't telling you. (laughs) Oh shit! Oh shit! (laughs) Praise him! Praise him! Would, so, so based on this test, would NASA say anything if it was on the way? I don't know how successful was the test. It hit it. Fuck no, you niggas seen Don't Look Up. Ah, I love it. I love it. We're gonna yeah, go. Hell no, that was like nothing. Yeah. No, they, they actually that was a mission probably to mine the asteroid that's coming to kill us. <laughs> if you seen Don't Look Up. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get some resources. Regardless. Yeah, get the resources. <laughs> Even though it's about to destroy the world. Yeah, it's all bad. We ain't, we ain't hey man, humans are not good. Look, the last 15 minutes, the last 15 minutes of this show has proven that we yeah. <laughs> people ain't shit. We ain't shit. Sorry, y'all. Oh, you know I know we ain't. Oh damn it, we. Well, we don't really talk about shit like that, though. But I guess we should, I should ask. Did y'all see that uh, the football game on Thursday? 
I didn't see it, but I saw the <sighs> bangle, the bangles in the. I saw the projectile. <sighs> the bangles in Miami, bro. It uh, Tua got fucked up. Yeah, I was watching that. Yeah, it's a bad look. Like, bro, we have all seen football games, and yeah. even personally, oh, I've seen man, it too. I, what, what the fuck happened to Tua? Dog, you didn't uh, see that shit? You don't know? No. You didn't see that? No. Tell me, Roger. Bro, that nigga was up throwing gang signs after his concussion. Dog, like, as I was about to say, like, I'm sure we have all, we, we've all seen these lock up, they get hit. I seen like personally seen niggas get locked up. I shit, I've been like knocked out before in a football game. But bruh, I have never seen a nigga's fingers. Yeah. Nigga, I but, thought that he had, I, at first I thought that he like had broke his fucking fingers or something like that, man. The way his head the way his fingers was looking. AC oh, wow. like Are you looking it up now? You may not be able to find a video. Cause like I think the NFL has like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so, he, so AC, got, you know, you know, he got, you know, he got fucked up last uh, Sunday. No, uh, I didn't. I do have I that video. Sunday too. Huh? I didn't know he got fucked up Sunday too. So yeah, it, he got hit. The, he, he got hit Sunday, and he got up. They said and that then Immediately start. He start. He started walking and then fell. Like he 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 was wobbling. Like he was unsteady. And his line, you know, they ran. His teammates ran to him to, you know. Uh, hold him up, but hold, uh, but hold on, Zeb. Like uh, before you go forward, bro. Like also, AC, when it, that happened, so they, he said they want us to believe it was a back injury. Hey, Zeb, what that nigga was grabbing when his teammates held him up? Is it his fucking head? Yeah. Not his. Mm. Everybody here on this motherfucker has either pulled a back muscle or fucked their back up. Yeah. I don't hold my head when my back hurt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nope. And Go so ahead. they said he pa- he passed protocol con- uh protocol concussion protocol rather, and so you know obviously this is a Thursday game that just happened Sunday, but he started on Thursday last night, mm-hmm. and uh, so he was you know he dropped back for a pass. What's this like in the third quarter? No second. Second quarter. Second. Because the, the, yeah yeah you're right. The yeah, delay second. was so long. I thought it was halftime, nigga. Right, yeah, yeah, that's true. That. Yep. And he got slammed down. He got he got sacked. He got slammed down, and uh, you know his head. You know, back of my. I'm head. watching it right now, bro. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you see, you see, they showing his hands and shit. Yep. Hey, dog. Like, I ain't never seen niggas' fingers do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either. Nigga, as soon as it happened. I was like, oh, his brain is fucked yeah. up. Scrambled. Cause like, cause, cause like you said, my first time about, yeah, break his hand, shit like that. I said, dog, that nigga's hit all his fingers were crossing over each other. Yeah, it was your crazy. brain shut the fuck down for a hot ten seconds. Yep. And like I said, we before we've all seen niggas like when they get knocked out, they do that posturing like this, they like this, shit like that. I ain't never seen a nigga's fingers do that. They called it something I heard, that some, I think they called it fencing or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah they're, they're level, different levels. Some sort of neurological reaction yeah. to, yeah. You know, to a concussion, basically. Yeah, there are different levels of posturing. Yeah, I don't know all the 
the name, the, you know, it's, it's basically named after people who fucking said, yeah, this is what happens. But yeah, I don't know all the levels of it, but yeah, that is like severe posturing. That's like, yeah. your, your body's like, <laughs> I'm reverting back to a fucking, before I was a fucking actual human state. Yeah. Yeah, that shit's crazy, man. So that's going to be, that's going to be some shit, bro. Like, yeah. That's going to be some shit, dog. Because the NFL uh, PA is suing, right? Yeah, because if you watch him try to get up and walk in that Bills game, there is no way he should have been back in that game. He shouldn't have been playing, yeah. Maybe maybe if the game was on Sunday, maybe. But Thursday? Hell nah. But But I don't even think Sunday. I don't even think a week. But no, Zeb, I'm saying you telling me he cleared concussion protocol Uh, in the Bills game? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, they, took, they took a bunch of uh, shortcuts. Yeah, dog, like, that nigga did the stanky, like, dog, like, and then was like, ah, my fucking, my brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I think he he played a part in it. He, you know, I think he was the one that said it was his back and his ankle or something like that. Oh, fuck that. You know, yeah, but that. has been having a good season, so he want to. But yeah, man, you got to the protocols are to save you from yourself because motherfuckers exactly go out because you know we've been told to be warriors. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Nah, I'm not blaming that shit on him. No, 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 not at all, not at all. I'm not saying that. No, no he's just. I'm he's saying, just, I, I hear you. That's what I'm saying. saying. The, the team is supposed to protect him from himself. Right. I don't fault him for wonder. Yeah, that's how he. That's how he been raised to play. That's how you. You know, playing football, man. You raised to. You know, like you said, to be warriors. So mm-hmm. I'm not blaming him. I'm saying the team should have, you know, they should have known better. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have put him in that position. They shouldn't even allowed him to be out there, man. Yeah, and 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 yeah, it's not. And like I was telling um, uh, thirty pieces on Twitter, it's not lost on me. It's the same team to try to get rid of this nigga when uh, Timothy Brady was uh, looking looking for a football team. Same motherfucker they was telling the coach to uh, tank. Tank the season so they can get a they can get a higher draft pick. <laughs> yeah. Get a quarterback. It ain't lost on me that this is the same team did that while this man was their quarterback. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. If the owner's for, uh, Flores too. Ain't the owner suspended for a year for tampering or some shit? Yeah. I think they said he tampered with Tom Brady. Well no, like, not a so. year. He got like it was like three or four games. Oh, okay. It's some money. <laughs> Don't forget how they did the coach though, Flores. Yo, yeah, he got Flores got yeah. fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but after yeah. what, like a nine and seven season, right? Nigga, after a winning season, yes. Season. Something they had not had down there in a hot minute forever. So yeah, none of that shit. Like yeah, none. And we we talk about it all the time. Ain't as black men ain't none of that shit lost on us that yeah these white motherfuckers just fucking around like eh whatever. It, it, but also, like, but like you said, it goes on tour. They probably like, yeah, you think you can play? He's like saying, yeah, this the same team trying to get rid of me. Fuck yeah, I'm gonna play. Right. You niggas trying to get rid of me. Yeah, and he's finally having a good season. Great you know, season. First few. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, it's the first few games, so I can't. I can't. Oh, I mean, for, yeah. for what they've been putting out. My bad. Ooh. Yeah. Damn, so of course he gonna want to play. He gonna do whatever he can yeah. to play. He gonna say whatever he he think he need to say to play. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so yeah, all right. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I messed shit about that. I'm doing. I, 
we got our Aaron Judge shit, which led to something else. But yeah, doing the sports talk, I want to talk about that. Like, yeah, that was that was crazy, and yeah, hopefully he's okay. And hopefully they said he, he they released him from the hospital. He flew back with the team, but yeah, but he know. hadn't got the MRI yet, and he hadn't been fully right. evaluated. Yeah, who knows about yeah exactly yeah. what's really going on? Yep, yep. So it's like that. Ho- hopefully he sit his ass down and fucking like like heal heal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for for some weeks. I'm surprised they put him back on the plane. That's a good point too. All that shit, dog. Like when they right. said like he flew back with the team, and then did, did you did you hear what this crazy motherfucker Mike uh, McDaniel said? Like we sat on the plane and we're watching some shit, a movie together, and I was watching him, and everything is okay, and some shit uh, he's fine, and it's like nigga, you're not a doctor. Stop talking about this shit. Shut the fuck up. Nigga, stick to your history books that keep pushing down my throat. That makes you a smart, the smartest man on earth, I guess. <laughs> like, nigga, just, yeah, yeah, no, nah, you're right. He, yeah, he did learn how to sidestep that shit. No, you gotta learn, just, nigga. Just look, hey, the same way you sidestep right, the question about you being black, sidestep this other shit. Bro. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> same, same the energy, same my way. nigga. Yeah. Yep, you're right about that, dog. Yep. Yeah, slip that block, nigga. Yep, slip that block. Right. You need to farm the shit out of that question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I see myself more as a human. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, start losing down there in that area of Florida and see what happens. See how human you he are. He said he saw himself as a human. He's he human two as a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he see two as his, as his, uh, his retirement benefits. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, take two gloves and going to get it done, unfortunately. Um, all right, man. Tabs tabulated. People got to get up. The women of the Brothers Breaking Bread have left us adrift out here in this sea of fuckery. <laughs> and our own juices. Our own juices. <laughs> 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 In film. <laughs> Let me stop. I'm about to bring it back full circle and be like, we got we got AC here for butt plugs and other products <laughs> to keep us afloat. <laughs> they probably they'll probably like Nigga, Rogers, don't come back to the football season over, nigga. <laughs> Rogers, come in tuned up today, too, man. Yeah. Hey, hey, we beat the fucking brakes off this team, so I was hyped. We was, niggas was worried, but we, hey, I'm hyped. Let's go. Cool. This, this nigga texted me late. Like, we just got off at 1130. I think he, he texted at 1137. Y'all ain't on still? <laughs> Y'all not coming out to play no more? <laughs> hey, nah, hey, hey. Like that nigga, that kid that had to go to church service in the middle of the week. <laughs> y'all, were, y'all, ain't, y'all ain't hooping no more? Hey, y'all done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said, nah, bro, we had a short episode. We got off, man. <sighs> Don't worry. These jokes... These jokes will always live with me. I will keep them. Nigga <laughs> had them saved up, man. <laughs> but nah, that's, man. That's, that's, that's from that uh, 
that malware on his phone locking Man. up the it's okay uh, it's okay no, I, had... I was i was i wasn't gonna say it but i was literally being <laughs> he had it saved up bro that's okay that's okay i'll be saying hey i'll fucking cover myself in butter singing the motherfucking song from cats memories <laughs> in the corners of my mind <laughs> <laughs> you won't stop me from getting this nut. No, sir. <laughs> I missed you. That butter. I, I missed you. Not, not shea butter. But this butter. A butter. This straight. Land of lakes, nigga. Un, unsalted. Land of unsalted, dog. <laughs> Singing the cat song. Memories. <laughs> <laughs> they gon they gonna delete the fucking program from my shit from they in. They gonna write we we've we've seen enough. This nigga cannot be rehabilitated. <laughs> they they gonna have a fucking the victory app buzzing like <laughs> Fucking, fucking crying. <laughs> and shortly after this program, Roger sent a dick pic to the producer. Nigga, <laughs> <laughs> that would be Joe. That's fucked up. Oh, no. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, never. Hey, fuck it. Don't break bread with your brothers. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Hey, do not break bread with your brothers uh, at all. out there everyone's good amen okay okay i got a caveat nigga damn it <laughs> hey we call the episode we, if we call the episode show me that doesn't mean you actually have to show me nigga. i'm not sending anything to you sir <laughs> nothing <laughs> you do not you do not take that literal bro <laughs> do not show me Get out of here, man. Shit, fucking Zab the soldier. 
Slim AC, half of the Buzz of Doom, Joe Jeff. I'm the KC Stork. Never, ever, ever miss a moment to break bread with your brothers. Our sisters on here. Y'all see the outcome. Buzz breaking bread. We out. Break bread with your brothers whenever possible. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Audio Jump. Introducing the Planet Fitness Guide to getting that post-workout glow. Step 1. What's your why? More epic energy, better sleep, blow off steam? Step two, join Planet Fitness for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime, and get moving. Go cardio crazy in our clean and spacious clubs, or get down with some dumbbells and strength equipment. Step three, bask in that post-workout glow. Join Planet Fitness today for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, October 14th. It's glow time. See club for details. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give this trash the second chance it was hoping hard to recycle plastics can be so much more participate in the hefty energy bag program happening in your neighborhood today Folks, you are listening to Table Talk here at the Philadelphia Sports Table Podcast Show, the longest-running weekly Philly sports podcast show in the world. That's right. It is Monday, October 3rd. Hope you are doing well. We've got a lot of great discussion coming your way this week here on our Table Talk interview show. We're going to be getting into the college football season. What we've been seeing so far, some surprises, some storylines that we are following It's been a very interesting up-and-down college football season for a lot of different programs. But, you know, what's kind of happening to uh, uh, some of these programs? We're going to take a deep dive into a few of them here for sure. Let's get to it. It's great to have back on the podcast to get into this college football season. 
He is from the Nittany Lion Wire over at USA Today. Check out everything they're doing over there. Great, great content. And also, he's a contributor at Athlon Sports as well. We've got the one and only Kevin McGuire. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great, Jeff. It's good to talk to you. You know, it's uh, we're doing this uh, early October. It's fall. It's cold outside. Made some soup for the first time this season. There it's you go. Football weather, if yes, I must say. Absolutely. I had some beef stew in our crock pot yesterday. Perfect football food. You know, you got to love the crock pots during football season, Kevin. At least I do. Absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It's a, it is the. Uh, the aroma of the season, it yes. just goes so well. And, you know, it makes up for, you know, when it gets the cold, rainy weather that we've been having. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but nice comfort. And, you know, it, it helps when the, the football teams uh, that we're interested in are winning games, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to get into that in just a bit here. But really quick, folks, make sure you're following Kevin on Twitter at Kevin on cfb at kevin on cfb is a great follow and to get into one of those teams right off the bat here kevin penn state nittany lions my penn state nittany lions i know you enjoy and follow this team as well this team is five and oh undefeated now they're number 10 in the nation from the latest ap poll that i that i saw today I mean, not only is this fantastic, but I'm but I'm not sure that too many of us fans really kind of expected this necessarily. However, I, I have a caveat here that I want to really get into with you. It, it, it's after watching some of these games, after watching some of them, I feel kind of underwhelmed. <laughs> I feel like, boy, they really pulled that one out, or it was a nail-biter. There was some stress involved with it. And I know football should be like that. Football should be like that. It's entertaining. That's why we watch it. Man, this past week's game, this that was kind of one of those games where it was just kind of an underwhelming feeling coming out of it. I, I'm not the only one that's feeling this way. What do you think is leading some of us here to think that way about this Penn State season, perhaps, even though they're 5-0, and undefeated, or are these folks and myself just crazy? I don't know. What are your thoughts here? I don't think you're crazy, but I think what we have witnessed in the first five games of the season, really the first month of the season, is the best-case scenario for Penn State, yeah. where they, they go on the road and they win a, a hard-fought game on that opening opening night, uh, Thursday night at Purdue. That was not going to be an easy game uh, the way it was scheduled, but they came out of there with a win. And then a couple weeks later, they go down to Auburn and completely smash Auburn. Yeah. But now you're wondering, you know, Auburn doesn't look all that good. So <laughs> how good of a win is it really? I still say you go into SEC territory and come away with that dominating performance the way you did. Uh, that's something to be proud of. But then you follow it up with a little bit of a more not lackadaisical victory against uh, Central Michigan or uh, you're not – not to undersell what they've accomplished, but you know, this past weekend against Northwestern, it was anything but pretty. I mean, that that was and that's as what I'm saying. As, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Against a team that's not necessarily the best in the Big Ten. <laughs> N- not at all. I mean, Northwestern is not a good team this right. year. 
there were the weather elements. I know James Franklin is not going to make that as an excuse, but I mean, let's be real. I mean, Northwestern turned the ball over too. So it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of an ebbs and flows of the season. And I think the fact that Penn State started 5-0 last year, and now you see them sitting at 5-0 with some of the games that they still have coming up. Yeah. And I, I think you, uh, like a lot of people, are probably kind of skeptical saying, why should I buy in just now? <laughs> you know, go on the road in a couple of weeks and beat Michigan, then we'll talk. Right. right. Uh, and I think that that's fair. Because I do think that this season for Penn State, it's all about regaining the trust that they had had before the COVID season, where you know the last couple of years have been pretty mediocre. But you know, there's no other way to say it. But before that, it was actually pretty good. So they're trying to get back to that level of respectability, and they're slowly earning it. I don't know if they're really the tenth best team in the country right now, right, but. Right. <laughs> I'll but the way it. that this I'll season has it. gone <laughs> around the sport of college football, I mean, they've earned the ranking that they currently have, right. but they there's still something that they have to prove. And I think that the program understands that moving forward. So there are, the, the biggest challenges for them are still ahead. So if you're waiting to see what they do uh, in their next three games after their bye week this week, I think that that is totally fair. And I would not question anybody for it, but there are some really good things happening with this team right Absolutely. now. I know the last game was really ugly, yeah. yep. uh, but th <laughs> there are some really good things happening right now that I think is a little bit different from what we've seen in the last couple of years. It's something we got to keep in mind, folks. I think Kevin makes some very, very good points for sure as it pertains to this Penn State football program. Let's keep our heads up here. Let's enjoy the wins. Let's try to do that. I'm going to definitely try to do that myself. But uh, I, I want to move to another team team here in the Big Ten who certainly has seen a shakeup over the course of the past 24 hours as us, as we're recording this. And I think the firing of uh, Paul Christ at, at Wisconsin was a bit of a shock here, given his record of 67 and 26 during his tenure that that's nothing to just you know sneeze at. And I I, you know, I, I Kevin, I tend to think, that in-season college football firings kind of just make a mockery of the whole, you know, quote, commitment and, and togetherness of what college football teams and so many programs really try to symbolize and try to put forth to their fans, to their alum, all, all of that. Do you think this is more of like uh, uh, this this more cold and callous way of doing business in college football kind of is starting to remind us and kind of look like what happens in the NFL. I'm wondering what your thoughts are and uh, why it might be this new era of uh, coaching firings that we may be seeing here. Yeah, I was going to say, we're recording this on October 3rd, and we have already had five head coaches fired uh, at the FBS level. Yeah. <laughs> that. I don't know if it's unprecedented, but it sure seems like, you know, I've been following you know, the coaching carousel for a number of years. And we, every now and then we get one or two coaches that are fired before October. But again, we've got five. So there were just two yesterday. It wasn't just Wisconsin. That's true. Colorado yeah. fired their coach. Yep. Um, much more expected at Colorado, the way things have been going there. But Wisconsin um, firing Paul Chris after a, a tough start to the season, but with all that success that you kind of alluded to, I mean, he's been a very successful coach at Wisconsin. He's gotten to the big 10 championship game three times in his career there. 
He's six and one in bowl games. I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive record. The question is, if you're Wisconsin, have you felt like he has plateaued and he has taken Wisconsin as far as they're going to go? And I think that that's a very important question because things are about to change in the Big Ten. You know, USC and UCLA are coming in in the next couple of years. The division format could be completely scrapped or completely reworked. So where is Wisconsin going to be in that hodgepodge of the 16-team Big Ten? Right. If it is only 16 teams, too. So this is a pretty critical point right now, especially if you feel like your next head coach is out there and there's another team in the Big Ten in Nebraska that could be targeting the same guy. So. There's a lot at stake here, but I think the the big takeaway I have from this Wisconsin coaching change, as shocking as I feel it was, is because we are seeing the uh, the next level of the business and the industry of college sports kind of taking fold there. Because Wisconsin is not a school that is going to make this kind of a change. Uh, typically, you know, it costs a lot of money now. There are reports that you know Paul Chris has agreed to a much lower buyout. So kudos to Wisconsin for being able to swing that. But <laughs> right, you know, whatever the case may be, it, it is telling that a school like Wisconsin, you know, starts off two and three with a guy that has been very successful there in terms of wins and losses, and you know, kind of moves forward. Now the Big Ten makes a lot of money, so. Uh, and that's only going to continue to skyrocket. So maybe that's uh, another ingredient here that uh, allows for a school like Wisconsin to make this kind of change that kind of goes against the grain of the way they've operated for years. And I'm thinking this whole time, even before the season started, one of my predictions was that we would see Ohio State and Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Same here. Yeah, I, 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 we may have ta- talked about that the last time you were on. I'm thinking to myself, how does this happen? It's just... It's becoming a more callous, I think, type of an approach to uh, what the college head coach really is, should be what they actually symbolize. And and speaking of one particular college head coach that I thought was going to be out the door a, a couple years ago, it's UCLA's head coach, a guy we all know too, too well, here in the world of Philly sports, Mr. Chip Kelly, he is 5-0 and this season. Certainly is helping this program out at UCLA as he's now in his fifth year as the head coach there, Kevin. Should we keep discounting UCLA in the Pac-12 race or are you know they a true contender here? What are your thoughts? They really showed something this past weekend. That was a big win against a very good Washington team. Yes. <laughs> that was, you know, just kind of back in the top 25 rankings themselves. And then UCLA kind of says, no, nah, you're out of yeah. it now. <laughs> uh, so I, I got to say, I'm a little bit surprised at how well UCLA has played this year because the way things were going for Chip Kelly and UCLA, I didn't feel like it was going to start coming together. And maybe it is this year. Yeah. I still don't think that they're the best team in the conference. I don't know if they're the third best. I don't know if they're the second best team in their own division. You know, right, they've got right. a division with USC and, and Utah, which is still a very good team. So, and I think they, they play got, Utah this week. Don't do they play Utah this week? I'm not sure. I think they might. 
I have, I gotta check the double. double okay, check the yeah, yeah. I think but, they might. Know, yeah. They're gonna play Utah and they're gonna play USC. So right. they're gonna have those opportunities regardless of when those games are played. Uh, but this is a good team, and you know, look at the rest of the Pac-12 and UCLA is certainly kind of forced themselves into the conversation for Pac-12 title consideration. But again, like I said, I think they're the third best team in that Pac-12 South, but it's a very good third best team because USC is very good. Utah, even though they lost their season opener in Florida, is probably the most well-rounded program and consistent program you get out of the Pac-12. So to be in the running there and see what you do against uh, a team like Utah, uh, USC later on in the year, UCLA could be playing themselves into a potential New Year's Six Bowl discussion. Ooh. I think that might be a little bit of a reach, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they are their stock is going up, and that's uh, credit to Chip Kelly. You know, things have finally started to take place. When when Chip Kelly got hired at UCLA, I thought it was the perfect spot for him, and then that prediction wasn't really looking all that great for for a few years. Uh, but maybe now, you know, the fruition of the time passing by has kind of uh, paid off a little bit. So we'll see where they go from here. But certainly uh, Chip Kelly's uh, enjoying life in UCLA and future Big Ten member <laughs> UCLA. Oh gosh, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm hoping that Chip Kelly hangs around long enough to be there oh. uh, when that move is made because that's going to be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. And yes, UCLA does play. Utah this coming Saturday on uh, okay. October 8th. So it's going to be, that's definitely going to be a barometer for how well I think UCLA is able to do for the rest of the season, I think, for for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, you would think so as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if they don't come out with a win, yeah, you know, just seeing what they do against Utah, I think it will be very telling. You know, if it's a really close game that goes down on the wire and they come up short, you know, I'm not going to knock them too hard because they will prove to me that they certainly belong in the Pac-12 discussion because, like I said, Utah, I think, is the most well-rounded team that conference has to offer, and USC is the most talented team. So UCLA gets a little bit of a mix of both. You know, you know that's not a bad recipe. All right, very good. Again, folks, we're talking to Kevin McGuire from the Nittany Nittany Lion Wire over at USA Today and also a contributor over at Athlon Sports. Follow him on Twitter, at KevinOnCFB. He's a great follow. And let's move on to one program right now that that I got to say, like, I don't don't mind seeing having the struggles here and there, quite frankly. And and that's one Notre Dame. My gosh, their fall from grace certainly wasn't expected by many. Uh, you know, it's been, they've been a big surprise this season. And of course, not in a positive way. Marshall beats them. And they just haven't played like a football team that this year that's really kind of just been in sync with each other, offensively, defensively. What, I, Kevin, what's happening with Notre Dame? And are, are they able to get it back together? What are your thoughts? Well, I'll go backwards. No, I don't think they're going to get back okay. together enough. Uh, right. <laughs> because, you know, honestly, before the season started, I thought Notre Dame was grossly overrated in the national rankings. I thought that they were going to lose four games this season just before the year started. Yeah. One of them being the Ohio State game. They got to play USC later on, and I figured they were probably going to lose two more games somewhere along the way. I never expected one of those losses to be to Marshall, so I I can't say I'm going to take any credit for that. But 
you know, I still think there's a few more losses coming for this Notre Dame team. So it's a program that has a new head coach in Marcus Freeman. And while Notre Dame loves Marcus Freeman, uh, and you know, maybe he's gonna prove to be a very good head coach, he's still a first year head coach. And his first his first couple games were really tough matchups. Rough, man. <laughs> with a New Year's Six bowl matchup. Yeah. On the road at Ohio State to open the season. I'm not gonna knock him too hard for that, but things do need to change here. And I think not necessarily with the head coach, but probably elsewhere on the staff. You know, I looked it up before we started this. All right. So Notre Dame has, I think the 94th ranked total offense in college football. Now there's a website called cfbstats.com. I use it all the time. It goes all the way back to 2009. I went through year by year by year to find out when the last time Notre Dame was ranked that low in total offense and they were never lower than mid sixties. Oh my god! Going back to two thousand nine, so we're talking about yeah. an incredibly rare, inept uh, Notre Dame offense in hand. And their offense coordinator is former quarterback Tommy Reese, who I think is going to be the probably the first name that's going to be a part of any kind of changes that happen with Notre Dame. And right, so they make that kind of a change. I don't think there's going to be much help for saving this season, at least offensively. So. You know, I still think Notre Dame has plenty of talent. It's just a matter of, you know, coming up with better game plan, game strategy. You know, maybe they can put it together in the second half. But, you know, Tommy Reese, I think, is the guy that's going to be taking a lot of the criticism uh, because of this historically bad Notre Dame offense that we're seeing. Right now. Historically in a generational term, I guess. I right, mean, it's right. been a long time since we've seen this offense at Notre Dame you know, struggle as much as we've been seeing this year. Exactly. I, I, I Great points, great points. And, and I look at other teams throughout the nation that really have been surprising us. One is Kansas. I mean, they're, mm. they're ranked, I think, right below UCLA in the latest AP poll. And uh, they're 5-0 and in the season. I mean, this is, this is Kansas that, uh, you know, yeah. historically hasn't had the greatest football program. But I'm wondering, is is there a program or a storyline this college football season thus far, Kevin, that's really surprised you and why? Well, Kansas is the runaway answer here. Okay. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I mean, you kind, of, you kind of stole it right there for me. But Kansas actually is – uh, a very fun team to watch. You know, they've been very entertaining. Lance Leopold has done a terrific job there. Yes, yes. And it's a case where, you know, if you're looking for a head coaching, you know, by the way, if Wisconsin is listening, get Lance Leopold. Because <laughs> he, he would be a home run head hire for Wisconsin. He was very successful at the Division Three level with Wisconsin Whitewater. Yeah. Which, whereas he kind of made his name there. He went to Buffalo and then he's at Kansas and he's turned Kansas around one win away from bowl eligibility. Um, you know, not a lot of people could have even imagined that that would be a possibility, but he, he is a well-rounded coach, well-respected coach. And it's proving because uh, he's got this Kansas team that offensively, aside from this past weekend against Iowa state, you know, they've been on fire on yeah. offense. They've got Jalen Daniels as their quarterback, 11 touchdowns, one interception, I believe, uh, after last weekend. So uh, he's a name that's going to, if he continues 
producing the way he's been doing, you know, you're going to hear his name in the Heisman conversation a little bit. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And and Kansas still has some games where they can win here. So, you know, they still got to play Oklahoma. So, I mean, Oklahoma looks more and more like a win than I ever thought. So, this this Kansas team is truly fun to watch. If you haven't watched Kansas football in a decade, now's the bigger time because it may not last for very long. Right, so they're going to get some airtime. Yeah, they're going to get yeah. some airtime too, which is great. That's something that I really enjoy with as the season progresses. As the college football season progresses, teams that do come out of the woodwork to surprise us, like Kansas, they're definitely going to get some more airtime and kind of leads me to the last topic that I want to get into with you here, Kevin, which is the college football playoff expansion that we are looking to see within the next possibly uh, two years, maybe even a year from now or so. I know they're trying to speed this up to uh, you know get these 12 teams into the college football playoff. I'm wondering what your overall thoughts are with it and, and, and how it's going to be implemented and is it good for college football? Because I think it can highlight programs. If it's done the right way, it can highlight certain programs that we don't get to see all that often and really give an opportunity for certain programs to be showcased. Would that ever translate over to recruits, new recruits going to those schools in the future? Perhaps, and I think that could be really good for college football, but now that I have you on the show here, just wanted to get your thoughts on what this uh, 12-team playoff system in your mind uh, looks like, and what are your thoughts on it? So I have always loved the idea of expanding the playoff. I've always thought that four teams was not going to last for very long, nor should it have, (laughs) and I don't think it should have lasted this long, but I always thought the next step was going to be eight teams. Uh, so it took me a little bit of time to adjust the idea of the 12-team format once we figured out exactly how it was going to go. I'm all on board with it. I, I think it hits a lot of the points that I was aiming for in an 18 playoff. I love the idea of incorporating the bowl games the way that they have them for, I guess, the, the semifinal rounds. And then you still do your national championship the way they've been doing it on the usual field. Yeah, And we're going to get home campus games in the first round of the playoff. And that is going to be awesome, I think, for college football. You're going to see some matchups that you don't typically see. Right. And you're going to see them at the perfect time of the season for football weather, especially up north. And I'm incredibly excited about it. And I do think that, you know, for instance, it's going to be very beneficial for a program like Penn State. I think if you've had this 12-team format, since the, the dawn of the college football playoff, Penn State would have been in the playoff, I think, three times. Right. Maybe right. four. Definitely three. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I get the idea that some people have that you're, you're actually watering down the, the playoff. I say that that is hogwash because I think you are enriching every single aspect of your regular season by allowing for – your conference champions to have a chance to get an automatic qualifying bid that makes your that makes your conference championship mean a lot more, which means it's going to be more valuable when it comes time to those next round of the media rights. Yep. And I think that that's a trickle-down effect right there. You're opening up the door for other conferences to get on that national stage, like you were saying. Uh, you know, the group of five getting a a spot in the New Year's Six is great, but now they're going to get a chance, a legitimate chance 
at the national championship. And I know Cincinnati was in there last year, but obviously that is, you know, once in how many years have we right. had the playoffs. So it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Now they're going to get that chance every year. And for me, I love it. I, I love uh, seeing every, more opportunities to compete at a high level. Bottom line is, when we get to this 12-team format, it's probably still going to be dominated by Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson yeah. year in and year out. And that's okay. <laughs> right. Because now we're going to have more intrigue, uh, more national interest from coast to coast. I, I don't see any real negatives here with this 12-team format. So my only question is, when are we going to start to see it? Um, you know, I'm going to guess that, after this season, we'll get one more year of the fourteen playoff because it seems like they're dragging the feet just a little bit. Yeah. And I do think that they have to work out some of the logistics to get the 12 team uh, format, but I don't see any reason why it should be more than two years from now. And so I, I think there's just too much uh, positive revenue to be gained out of this. Absolutely. So I don't think that these conferences are going to say, well, let's just uh, go through the process as slowly as possible. No, they're going to get this done as quickly as they can. I just don't know if logistically they'll be able to get it done for the 2023 season, but I'm, I'm not going to say it's impossible for that either. I think it's safe to say that at the end of the day, it really is all about the money. <laughs> Once they get that straightened out, then we're going to nope. have our answers for sure. Again, folks, Kevin McGuire from the Nittany Lions Wire over at USA Today. Fantastic, as always. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us this week. Come back and join us down the road, my friend. You know where to find me, Jeff. Anytime. Thanks for having me. In my opinion, it is going to be fun when we do have that 12-team college football playoff. I just think it's going to be great. It's going to give an opportunity for these, uh, I don't want to say not so well-known college programs, but the quote lesser college programs. What I mean by that is they're not Alabama, they're not Ohio State, they're not Georgia, but you know some of those programs that even struggle to you know get into the top ten at times. It'd be great to see them highlighted during this college football playoff in the future. I'm really looking forward to it. I I really am. I think if the NCAA, I think that the college football playoff managers do it the correct way, then it could be be a really good thing. I'm not going to hold my breath because we know how things go in the sports world when things just come down to money. We understand how it goes. So that was a great Table Talk interview podcast. I, I truly enjoy talking to Kevin all the time. I enjoy talking to all of our guests here at the PST Podcast Show. So very grateful for everyone who comes on this show to talk about the sports world, whether it's the Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, like Kevin with college sports, what have you. It's just so nice to have such a great community of individuals just coming together uh, to uh, talk about sports on this show. Absolutely love it. Make sure you're following us on Twitter if you are not already at Philadelphia PST. That's where you can follow the show. You can also follow me at Jeffrey underscore Warren. You'll get a little bit more sports. <laughs> I think those who are following me over there know what I mean. And uh, we'd also appreciate if you follow us on other social sites out there. Just search us out. And also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, 
hit that follow button. We would greatly appreciate that as well as a rate and review. Subscribe on all other podcast platforms. And if anything ever happens to your podcast feed, head on over to PhiladelphiaSportsTable.com. We've got all of our podcasts over there for you to listen to. Head back into the archives. It's always a fun time. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. Take care. We'll catch you next time. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino was America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Moms are amazing at tracking down hard-to-find items. Library books, socks, you name it. But sometimes help is welcomed. Care.com makes it easy to find babysitters near you. Sitters with the experience and skills your family needs, like after-school pickup and homework help. You just post a job for qualified sitters to apply. And since all Care.com caregivers are background checked, you can feel confident about interviewing and hiring. To get the child care help you need, sign up now at Care.com. Audio Jungle.